Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and back with us again, the one and only Rich Haddam. Rich, welcome back, man. Thank you for having me, Professor. I'm happy to be here. I'd like you to know I've done all the homework, and I am prepared for the oral exam. (laughs) Ah, Excellent, excellent, because we've got a doozy of a case here uh, on our hands, and uh, I've never... I've never seen you go to this excessive length in terms of, uh, you know, uh, going through the notes, adding your own notes to them. Uh, really, you're going all in on this, Rich. <laughs> it's basically a lot of question marks. Yeah. And then a lot of me writing just, oh, fuck, or what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's that's what this case is uh, today. Folks, we're talking about the San Pedro haunting, which is like I, I'm surprised it's not as infamous as it should be for a poltergeist case. Like it's not it's not like name brand in terms of poltergeist cases. Uh, and, and that's weird to me, you know, especially considering like it was investigated by. I don't know what Barry Taft's reputation is these days, but I assume he's still well respected you know, in terms of his body of work? That's all I can think of is that um, either, well, a couple things. One, there has not been a definitive volume written, like a book where you mm-hmm. can just go, okay, this is the book and it's the go-to, you know, so the people just sort of have a place to just, you know, everything all at once. Um, the, I don't know the guy's reputation. I'll say this and listeners get ready. There is so much going on. It's almost one of those cases where you're 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 into it, you're into it, you're into it, and then suddenly you're like, oh, hey, now we got a little too much. I may have had, mm-hmm. I think my eyes were bigger than my stomach on this case. Yeah, because this is like uh paranormal like harassment to an uh, upteenth degree, like kind of worse than anything that i have ever really read about like i i you know i've read uh, uh, you know enough uh poltergeist cases to know that like stuff seems to be kind of like spaced out a little bit you'll get something and then like maybe a couple weeks later you'll get something else but it's like this stuff seems to be like daily and i think what makes this case interesting is that uh and, and what we'll get into is the culprit claims to not be it claims to be a human spirit or a, you know, collective of human spirits, which is, which is interesting to me. Like, it's not the only case in which that, you know, that's the uh, foregoing kind of uh, theory, but like this, this was weird in that kind of revelation a little bit, I would say. Something felt like it was getting fed. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because it got worse. If it almost there's something about it, sort of, if you follow from the beginning to the to the to the end, it feels like at a certain point it became very um, 
that there was a connection between the people experiencing things, maybe other, somehow other destructive, hungry ghost forces got in on it because they were mm-hmm. like, Ooh, there's a lot of attention over here. It almost, it, it almost like it, it changed from just a poltergeist case to some sort of very uh, destructive haunting. Yeah. Yeah. And like more so than your typical poltergeist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like just a lot of poltergeisty like stuff mixed in with some spirit that had a uh, vendetta. And, and and vendetta in particular against one investigator, uh, and we'll get into the reason why the, they have a vendetta against him. But uh, the um, uh, the San Pedro haunting case, it's also called the Jackie Hernandez poltergeist case. Uh, it's considered like one of the most violent poltergeist cases ever documented. Um, and, you know, there are. Uh, we're we're going to put a content warning in here because there are kind of allusions uh, to domestic abuse in this case, especially when it comes to Jackie's husband uh, in one particular moment in this story. But uh, it's it's just so, yeah, it's like to the ninth degree, this case. So uh, it all begins on August 8th, 1989. Dr. Barry Taff uh, had received a phone call from a woman named uh, Susan Castaneda on behalf of Jackie Hernandez. And she described these like frightening apparitions of weird sounds that were coming from the attic of Jackie's home. And uh, Dr. Taff, by this time in 89, he's uh, a parapsychologist. He's most famous for uh, working on a case, which uh, was later adapted into a novel and then a film called The Entity. Um, uh, the novel is by Frank DeFolita. It is not a great novel. <laughs> I own it. It's very bad. Uh, it's it's um, the the case has a reputation because it is uh, her claim. Uh, the the woman's claim in this case um, was that she was sexually assaulted by uh, unseen entities or um, figures that she claimed were kind of Asian looking or something like that. It's a, it's a very strange case, uh, but it's one in which Dr. Barry Taft kind of made a reputation because he was, he started to document um, the goings on in her home, got like really good photographic evidence. There's like, one infamous photo in which you see the streak of light that kind of uh, is like uh, over the witness uh, in the case that they had gotten on camera. But uh, it's um, uh, Taff is also he's he's written a book. Uh, I think it's uh, called UFOs Above Ghosts Below. It's kind of a really bad title, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's um it, it details, you know, kind of some of the handful of cases that he's worked on, but um, well, which he, sort of it, it, it brings up a question that I have, Rob. There's nary a UFO in this entire case. What is it doing on our strange skies? Well, this is, uh, you know, we're we're doing Halloween's right around the corner, and you got to get people in the mood. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is definitely Halloween fair. Okay. I, I get it. All yeah. right. All right. Yeah. Given the people what they want. 
this is this is the like definitive Halloween episode. Like we're bringing the scares here with this one, folks, because there is a lot of scary stuff. Uh, I think the the other kind of wide exposure that that Barry Taff has received more recently was uh, I think he was involved with the um, investigation of the quote unquote demon house that Zach Bagans bought. Um, That was like, I want to say three years ago now at, at this point, but he supposedly suffered some uh, health problems in connection with that case. It's it's a little weird, but uh, Barry Taft's been doing this stuff since the 70s. So he's been doing it a long time. Um, he um, sounds a little bit like the Warrens where mm-hmm. where he's kind of he's sort of branding himself as the guy who you know goes after, you know, the evil, destructive, malevolent spirits that are demonic. Um and rather than just, well, I'm rather calmly just investigating whatever comes along. It's like every case he's involved in, suddenly people are being attacked by evil spirits. Right. right. And I, I, I will say that, like, if you listen to him in, like, you know, coast to coast interviews, he tries to be as, like, down to earth about things and as skeptical th- about things as possible. But he does seem to be connected with a large number of cases which have these, like, uh, very extreme elements to them. Uh, this case, you know, uh, and the thing about this case is, is like he's not as involved in it uh, as the uh, the videographers. Uh, but um, he um, he puts together a small group to document what was happening at the Hernandez home. And among them, uh, he brought his girlfriend, Terry Culler, uh, a, a friend, Larry Brooks, uh, Barry Conrad, who is the owner of uh, what is now known as Barcon Productions, he's uh, which is like a video production company. He's, he's uh, worked on films. He's done like corporate things, uh, a lot of stuff. He met uh, Barry Taff in 1987, and he had always kind of had this interest in uh, kind of uh, 14 topics and stuff. And uh, meeting him kind of reignited that and. Uh, another guy that came along and um, kind of the like real target of a lot of this stuff, aside from Jackie, is a man named Jeff Wheatcraft, who was uh, he often worked as Barry Conrad's video assistant on projects. Um, and uh, he'd actually been a teacher in the Midwest. He moved to New York to pursue photography, got really good at it. Then he uh, moved from New York to California to uh, continue his pursuit. So um, uh, he was a, you know, very skeptical person by nature, but not by the end of this case. Um, Both uh, Conrad and Wheatcraft had met on the uh, set of the film Platinum Blonde. So um, as most parapsychologists do, it's 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 practically a trope here in in like the (laughs) like paranormal world. Like, you know, Rob, that's where you and I met. Exactly. It, it's like it, it, Platinum Blonde is the like um, it, it's kind of the time travel uh, portion of like any paranormal uh, people with interest meeting. It is the hub. You Everybody met on the set of Platinum Blonde. It's just how it is. Um, but um, Jackie herself had a couple friends over uh, Chrissy Zikovich. And uh, Susan Castaneda, her strange husband, Al, was there keeping an eye on on her two children, Jamie, who was Sorry, three did, years old. Did you see her 
Her her strange husband? A strange husband. A strange husband. husband. A strange. I mean, you know. He, he's strange. He was he's strange. Yeah, he was he's strange for sure. Um, oh. He, um, Al's not the greatest person in this story. And while he doesn't play the biggest part, he, he bad husband material is what I would uh, label him under. Uh, definite okay. bad husband material, but uh, he he had his own demons that he was working on. He had an uh, alcohol problem, but um, uh, well, that that the stuff like that sort of sticks out because you yeah. it, it's hard not to hear a story like this and and ask why and and in you know I'm sure your listeners and certainly you and I know that poltergeist cases seem to have you know they, they share certain um, uh, elements. One of them being you know, a young person, you know, sometimes a young woman seems to be the focus that mm-hmm. that's not really here in this case, as far as I could tell, but, but because the haunting became so extreme, it's easy to look back and go, well, what was good? There must've been some, some emotional turmoil going on mm-hmm. among the living people that somehow brought out this, in the spirit world and somehow the two, you know, sort of linked up those, those energies all matched and, and the spirits found their way into our realm. And I think that's why, even though he wasn't a big part of the story, he sort of looms over the story. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And, uh, just given, um, the nature of, uh, how things unfold, it definitely plays a significant part in the story, but, uh, Jackie had separated from her husband, Al, in November of 1988, and she moved into a one-bedroom, quote, turn-of-the-century bungalow on 11th Street in San Pedro. Um, now, Rich, you've, you've been to San Pedro many a times. Uh, can you just, like, give us a little idea of what San Pedro is like? Well, it's really hard to describe. It's um, it's a working-class town um that uh that that's i would say the majority of its shoreline is devoted to uh industry and shipping so it's a big port but it's it's the kind of port where you're seeing those enormous ships with those uh containers those big uh, uh rectangular you know things coming in from china and you know various places and and being offloaded by enormous cranes for most of your listening audience, if you want to know what that part of San Pedro is like, uh, watch Lethal Weapon 2. And the end of Lethal Weapon 2 will give you a really great idea of San Pedro and sort of the working, you know, shipping port that it is. But then then if you go to one side of it, it it's, it's Long Beach, which is a bit more touristy, and that's where the Queen Mary is, uh, is moored. And of course, the Queen Mary has a huge reputation mm-hmm. for being haunted. But, yep. but Long Beach, you can go and there's a, there's a boardwalk and there's shops and restaurants and stuff. And you can, you know, enjoy sort of a day at the beach in Long Beach. And then if you go a little, so that's maybe south of San Pedro, but right there. And then if you just go just north, I'm most familiar with a place called Point Furman Park and Lighthouse, which is sort of a cliff above above the Pacific ocean on a promontory, uh, a little, a little stretch called Portuguese bend. And, and I assume maybe it's because the, the profile of the coastline resembles Portugal maybe. Mm. Uh, 
but but this is this is an area where there's this park and and you you walk up to the the little brick uh cement fence at the end and you're looking straight out onto the water and you're looking straight down maybe 60 70 feet to to the the water and the waves and sometimes there's seals and stuff like that but it's a really beautiful park and um and and I've been going there since I was a child so if you're where I am in Los Angeles in Pasadena and you look at a map literally just draw a straight line all the way down. You'll be tracing your finger down the uh, 110 freeway all the way south through downtown LA, all the way, all the way down into San Pedro. And then you have to get off on a street called Gaffey, which just continues that straight line all the way to the water. But as you get off on Gaffey and you're driving toward the water, if you make a left on 11th street, you'll be at this house. Okay. And it's just a neighborhood. I mean, I mean, there's, you know, on Gaffey, it's basically all just, you know, uh, muffler repair shops and uh, McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell. I mean, that's what we're talking. And then you make a little turn. And it's so funny because I know now that I've driven past this place and come within a block of it a thousand times. Because mm. you take Gaffey if you want to go to Point Furman Park, and that's why I would take the kids. When I had nothing else to do to entertain the kids, I'd take them down there. If I'd known, I would have taken them to the intensely demonic <laughs> <laughs> haunted location where they would be murdered, but I never thought of it. I didn't know about it. I will tell you this, though. The hauntings took place at 593 11th Street in San Pedro, and that building does not exist anymore. If you go to your Google uh, Maps and go to the street view, it, it is just, it is an empty patch of land. They got rid of this place, and probably a good idea. Yeah, um, the, the landowner, the, the guy that owned the property, he uh, he didn't like that it had this reputation for being haunted because it, there was a lot of turnover associated with it. There were a lot of people that experienced things in the home, and I mean it's a it's an old home. It's a turn of the century home, so it had been um, in existence for almost ninety years by the time that uh, Jackie had moved in. So, so wait, you're you're saying there are other people besides the Hernandez family uh, mm -hmm. experienced supernatural? Oh, I didn't know yep. that. And was yep. that afterwards or before or both? Both. Um, Barry Conrad did write a book about this case. I I read it. It's oh, I'm hmm. wrong. Then there is uh, a book. well. Here, here's the thing. Like he needed an editor badly on this book. Like it is <laughs> self published. <laughs> It's self-published, but it also has just like a lot of bloat to kind of make it longer. Um, there's uh, the the one good thing that it has going for it is it has a lot of pictures in it. Um, so <laughs> you say that about every book, Rob. But I mean, like with this one, the pictures do help because like a lot of um, this story is how it's documented. And uh, it, like these guys go to great lengths. They have cameras with them all the time. And yeah, that, that's it right there. Is that it? That <laughs> is it. Found, it. found it on Amazon. Here you go, guys. Yeah. An unknown encounter, a true account of the San Pedro haunting. It's a terrible name for a book, but the only reason he went with it is because it's the name of the documentary. Um, but uh, uh and the cover is god awful. It's just <laughs> terrible.
Well, it's it's well, it's three hundred and fifty-two pages. So he 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 did manage to uh, uh, appropriately bloat it uh, to a uh, respectable length, and it's four, four out of five stars, nine reviews. I, I, I'll, that's all I'm saying. Uh, it's uh, like it's great for what it gives you, which is like a, a very in-depth look at the um um everything that went on it's very well documented it's just there's a lot of um writing that anticipates what's going to happen which is very it takes you out of it because it's oh. just like you know it's like uh, everything calmed down and then all of a sudden the worst thing that could happen happens and it's like no stop it just stop it just just tell me i don't need i don't need to be prepared i'm not a child let's let's just <laughs> But like, if you, if you do, uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes, if you want to go and, and track down the book, I, I'll also put the link to the uh, documentary um, that uh, Barry Conrad put together in the late nineties. And it is, it, it, did you, did you by chance watch it, that documentary? No, I watched a couple short YouTube. Well, I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe that was it. Um, no. Uh, it, it's, it, I, I just watched the shorter bits. Okay. Um, the, yeah, the, uh, the documentary is, uh, it's kind of like, a, I think it's like an hour and a half and it's, um, it's very nineties, like the special effects, very nineties, um, very, uh, I think they were kind of going for an unsolved mysteries vibe to it. Um, but it, yeah. it you know, it's just, it's kind of cheesy, but it's, it's, it's interesting. So, um, uh, <laughs> so, so you recommend it is what you're saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you need to go watch this, uh, documentary. It's just the cheesiness along with like the story is just absolutely fantastic. But, um, you know, it brings up a good point though, because mm-hmm. there were a lot of these shows, the unsolved mysteries and, you mm-hmm. know, you know, a hard copy and stuff like that. Do you think that's the reason this one got so much publicity is because it sort of happened at a time when there was a big platform for these kinds of stories, especially if they were involving, you know, Satan, because that Mm -hmm. was, that was kind of the era for that. I think um, there was a piece carried in, the Los Angeles times about this story. So like it did get some publicity and I think it, it, um, it kind of had a little bit of a reputation in the nineties, but yeah, I think, I think the culture of the nineties in terms of the paranormal and the UFOs and kind of all that stuff coming together, uh, contributed to it, uh, because, um, by the, you know, when unsolved mystery started to feature paranormal stuff, there weren't a lot of shows that were doing that. Uh, they were kind of one of the first aside from, you know, like in search of which, um, yeah. you know, by, by that time you could catch it on, um, they did reruns of it on the history channel for a while. Um, I remember coming home after school and watching them, but um, the, the interesting thing about the LA Times story was that a, it was, it was pretty straightforward and, mm-hmm. And it seemed like they were they were hitting all the facts without without that sort of overlay of you know wink wink or you know we're we're embarrassed to be reporting this. They were sort of like, well, okay, here's apparently what's been going on. And the other thing was the story ran in April. It mm-hmm. didn't run on October twenty eighth. 
Right. Which is when most newspapers feel like, all right, if we're going to run that, just wait till Halloween. Yep. So I was impressed by both of those things. Yeah, uh, it did get. And I think part of that, too, is just because of how relatable the person experiencing this was, uh, because right. I think a lot of people can relate to Jackie Hernandez. Uh, on one thing I need to mention before uh, I forget about it. So Jackie Hernandez uh, was born and raised in Saratoga Springs, New York, which is about two and a half hours south of where I am right now. It's if you want to go see like a big name concert uh, that's attached to like Live Nation or something like that, you go to Saratoga Springs to see it. If you want to go see horse racing, you go to Saratoga Springs. So um, I am well familiar with Saratoga Springs and um, her family uh, when she was young moved out to uh, San Pedro. Uh, and, um, she grew up there, uh, and then she met Al, they got married and, uh, that, that pretty much catches you up to where we are with her, but like almost immediately after moving in, she just, she started to feel weird things. Uh, there was one day when, uh, Al had stopped by to visit, uh, and she also had another friend over when they all three of them witnessed this like pencil holder that was on a desk, lift up and kind of throw itself uh, and, and fall to the floor. Um, it started with small things like that. Um, on another occasion when her friend Darlene was visiting, um, her two kids were sitting in the living room and they, they all heard like a crash come from the kitchen and they found this painting, which, uh, kind of normally hung above the refrigerator about five feet away from where it was, where it should be, uh, on top of the kitchen counter. So um, uh, what was even stranger is that the two nails that held it up were sitting vertically on a small table directly above the painting's normal resting place as if somebody had just plucked them out and put them there. So um, what's even stranger is that they had a painting hanging above their refrigerator. Mm -hmm. It just seems like a weird place for a painting. It does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't really know the the whole layout, but yeah, it does. It does seem like an awkward place because because it is such a uh, um, tall appliance. But <laughs> when I'm going to the refrigerator, also, I, I I'm just I'm more interested in what's in the refrigerator. Yeah, I'm probably not going to be spending a lot of time looking at the painting above the refrigerator. I'm I'm more like I'm just going to get what I want and then leave. Then maybe yep. then maybe I'll sit down with the food and look at a painting in my house. Yep. But not while I'm headed to the refrigerator. But that's a decorating note. And l listen, Jackie, Jackie's got enough problems without me criticizing her decorating. Yep. Um, uh, as you can see, uh, Rich is all about uh, feng shui and, and everything. So uh, he, he <laughs> has, he's, he is here for your interior decorating needs if you need him. Like, I'm not saying that the spirits got worked up because of her decorating, but if I was a ghost and someone did that in the house, I would be pissed off and I might okay. start, I might start pulling some shit too. So I, I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, that's an interesting note there. If you want to piss off the spirits in your home, put paintings in places they don't belong. Just put them right, right. above that refrigerator. It's sure to <laughs> piss them off. Has there ever been a haunting where where people where, where the ghost rearranged things in a better way? So it's no. like, oh, well, this picture has actually been hung over by the window. It's actually an improvement. Well, you know what? I kind of like this ghost. 
I, got some good taste. I keep praying for the day that that story falls onto my lap because it will be covered <laughs> on this podcast. It's like our house was a disaster. We came home, it was cleaned up. Yep. Just things, uh, things left off the floor and were actually replaced on the wall where they belonged. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, I keep waiting for the day that the uh, helpful poltergeist comes in and just like, uh, you know, acts like a nanny around the home. We, we all we need that, I think. Um, so a month after the uh, painting incident in the kitchen, Jackie heard what sounded like pebbles falling through the walls one night. Um, and for nights after, she would hear this high-pitched sound coming from the attic. And the attic seemed to be the center point for all the activity in the home. It was only accessible through the laundry room off the kitchen and Often Jackie would find the attic door just kind of like a jar um, when um, nobody had gone up there. Nobody had done anything. So, um, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. She would also hear like kind of like mumbling conversations like above her coming from the attic. Uh, also like moaning sounds. She claimed to hear like a man and woman in conversation, which seems to be like um, a thing like. In a lot of poltergeist cases, the witnesses talk about like a man and a woman like having a conversation. They can't hear it. It sounds like it's distant. Uh, they just can't make it out. But like there is that element of a man and a woman having a conversation, which is weird to me. Yeah, I would. If For those of you playing along at home, I think this case is a perfect opportunity to pull out your poltergeist bingo cards because mm -hmm just thing after thing after thing from falling pebbles to moving objects to water collecting in spots in the house where it shouldn't be collecting weird substances leaking down mm -hmm. the walls out of outlets uh d doors suddenly being open like the door to the attic the moaning sounds and then actually uh visual sort of visual phenomenon uh mm -hmm. apparitions faces and weird lights. I mean, this thing had it all. So as we go through, mark your cards and then email us if you if you achieve Poltergeist Bingo. Yep. Yeah, you're good. And you're Rob, gonna get Rob there. will have a prize for Rob, Rob will give you a signed copy of his forthcoming book. <laughs> when, when we get there, it's gonna be. It's we're working on it. Okay, we're working on it. It's gonna be a while, but you know what? It's in the works. Don't worry. Um, right, and you'll get you'll get an early copy. Yes. And it's not going to be just a lot of filler and pictures. It's going to be a legit book. All right. There's so don't gonna be thinking be some it's going to be but... like one of these. Yeah, there'll be some. Well, okay, something. Mostly just of Rob. But yeah, I'm <laughs> going to put a lot of pictures of myself in it because, you know, I may be talking about UFOs, but this book is really about me. Okay. Let's, let's uh, get that uh, out here out, out front. Uh, it's about me. And. Yeah. Um, you know, you're just going to have to accept a lot of pictures of me. I'm going to get a professional photographer and, uh, it's going to get so annoying that, uh, mm -hmm. you'll probably leave a one-star review, but I'm fine with that. Um, look, John Keel put pictures of himself in some of his yeah. books. So, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it didn't hurt. Like in the Mothman prophecies, literally the first thing that he does is insert himself into the story. So, uh, I mean, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. Those make the best books. Yeah. Yeah. Be subjective. I can't wait. Well, I hope I win bingo. Uh, I don't know if you uh, will qualify, but, uh, you know, um, 
I'll give you I'll give you one anyway. Don't worry. Okay. Um, All right. All right. Another odd observance, uh, speaking of fluids, uh, there was one day that she noticed this kind of water coming out of the light switch, which is not a place you want water to be coming out of ever, ever. Um, And it only lasted for like a few seconds before it stopped. But uh, yeah, there will be other substances that we will reference. Crazy Uh, substances. I mean, that, that, I mean, there's okay. So get, get ready here. And if and again on your bingo card, if you have substances, get ready. Yeah. In February of 1989, an apparition started to make itself known. Uh, and this was the apparition of a man who looked emaciated. His gray skin tone and sunken features gave him the appearance of like a corpse in his 60s. Uh, he often sat cross-legged, wearing a red checkered shirt tucked into high water pants. Rich, I actually have an image of this uh, figure that I'm going to. Share with you in the chat here momentarily, oh, and okay. I want right. your uh, I, I want your honest opinion of this figure because it is um, mm. it's absolutely terrifying. Uh, I me, eagerly await. Yes, uh, uh, it'll take me a minute to find it because there are a lot of images associated with this case that I have saved. There it is. Okay. Okay, and it'll right. be popping up here shortly. <laughs> um, in the Rob chat. and I are zooming. So yes. about, oh, here we go. A little, we go. A little thing has arrived in the chat. Yeah, click on it. Everyone knows a sketch of the old man apparition. All right. One moment, one moment. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Picture a demonic Don Knotts. <laughs> That's fair. That if you're not fair. already, and my God, man, that is that is fantastic. Yeah, it is terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Okay, so who did who did the sketch? Um, I, I'm not sure if it was. I think it was like uh, one of uh, Barry Conrad's friends who did it, or one of the investigators uh, took a stab at it. But um, yeah, that wow, wow. that sketch. An emaciated <laughs> corpse in his sixties. Okay, that guy doesn't. I mean, but he doesn't look corpse-like. He looks fully alive. Right, right. Um, so one night when Jackie was alone, she observed this kind of purple mist float in through the window and hover for a, por- a short period of time. Uh, after which it disappeared, and then shortly after she got up to use the bathroom and she saw this man for the first time sitting cross-legged on her on her kid's bed, just like staring at her um and, and it was the guy we just saw it was don Knotts. yes it is it is evil, uh, evil don Knotts. okay evil don Knotts. uh and uh she described you know his eyes as like the uh epitome of evil just staring at her um and several months later she woke up uh it was around midnight uh which kind of had started to become a trend for her. She usually woke up around midnight and in the kitchen, the man was staring out at her just like with this like hateful look in his eyes. She felt paralyzed to the spot. Uh, She took refuge under some blankets in the uh, living room. But uh, every time she pulled them back to see if he was uh, there, he was still there. And, And what's interesting is that every time that she sees him, he's sitting down. He's not standing. He's sitting down. 
Um, in, in this case, well, he's sitting at the kitchen table. In the other instance, he was sitting uh, down uh, on the kid's bed. So, uh, you know, that sounds odd until until I realized that the the apparition, excuse, excuse me, the apparition remained until the sun rose that yes. morning. Is that right? Yeah. Well, maybe this explains the sitting down. If you know you're going to be there a while. Yeah. You're not going to stand. No. And it's going to look awkward to be standing for a long time. And then it's like, ah, you know what? Let me sit down. So he starts out sitting down because yep. he knows he's here for a while. He is here for a while. He's here to terrorize. She can put pull those blankets from her face as many times oh. as she wants, but he's still going to be there because that's, that's, that's so bad. With. That yeah. is bad. That is yeah. not normal. Normally a ghost is there and, and barely there long enough for you to digest. Yeah. Now she's got a ghost. It's just, it's there long enough to become somewhat dull. Except you're still scared because it's a ghost. Yep. But man, that that's rough. I don't like that. No. Um, that fall, Jackie had purchased a calico cat named Cleo. And uh, the, it didn't take long for this cat to you know, become uneasy all the time, kind of chasing shadows that were moving along the walls. Um, yeah. There was one visit uh, when Susan stopped by and they witnessed a lamp crash to the floor. Um, and the first time that Jackie actually peeked into her attic, she was, you know, she was just kind of curious to see if there were money, was money up there because there were friends who had, you know, purchased similar homes or were renting similar homes in the area. And they claimed that they found money in the attic, which um, I have questions about that. Um, I'm assuming it's related to drugs, but I don't know. You know, that's uh, that is what it oh. is. Oh, that's weird but, that you thought that. I just figured it was like, you know, cr you know, old people sort of getting into that be. hoarder thing where it's could like, I, I know I, I, several relatives of uh, Susan, uh, you know, great aunt so-and-so would hide money all around the house. This is in her old age, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like something might happen. And so I better just tuck just like little. And so after she died and they were cleaning out the house, they would just find envelopes everywhere. So some had $5, some had $500 just, yeah. just hidden around the house. It became like a, like a game to try to find all the money. So, so there, there, there might be, uh, might not only be a, a drug deal gone bad. Gotcha. Um, as she poked her head through the attic, she saw a disembodied head that was just like floating towards her. Uh, it had, quote, pudgy features and glowing red eyes. I just screamed and fell out of the attic. That's, um, yeah. Um, That's big, but I will say not unheard of. There are like, because you don't typically or I don't typically associate apparitions and ghostly faces with poltergeist cases, but they are, it does happen. I mean, Enfield, I think had that. Mm -hmm. um, I think the South Shields poltergeist um, had some, some sort of physical manifestations. So it's not impossible, but it's pretty weird because now there's two things. Now there's evil Don Knotts and a pudgy disembodied head. Yep. And they do not look alike. They are different. So it's yeah. uh it's interesting that's an interesting aspect so um that pretty much catches us up to the evening of august 8th 1989 and 
Jeff Wheatcraft and some other investigators were kind of doubtful that the activity was as intense as she was claiming it was. Uh, and that was when Jeff decided to go into the attic because Jeff is Mr. Skeptic. Um, and when he did, the atmosphere in the house just kind of changed instantly. And um, it kind of started when they entered this uh, the, the like bathroom. And the moment Jeff stepped into the attic, he felt like he was being watched. And he kept like looking behind him. And this attic is tiny. It's no more than 12 by 13 feet or so. Uh, it's basically empty with the exception like there's loose floorboards um there is um there's like a a box or a crate a small crate in one corner so he starts to snap some pictures um and he was he went back down to the to like the uh attic door and he was letting everybody know like you know what he was feeling and and, and such and um larry brooks uh who was uh dr barry taft's friend started suggesting that he takes some pictures behind him. And when he snapped the third picture, the camera flew out of his hand and he let out a scream. After he came down, uh, Barry accompanied ba him back up to find the camera. And in one corner, they found the lens, which had been separated from the camera. And in the other corner, in that old crate, they found the rest of the camera, like face down. So... That's creepy. Uh, the camera hadn't been damaged, but it looked like it looked like it had the the parts had actually been neatly placed down, which is interesting. Um, which again is is common in poltergeist cases. You know, things sort of flying but coming to a a somewhat settled rest. Mm -hmm. So um, and. And, and of course, and the camera wasn't working properly. Isn't that, uh, again, the old, uh, you know, every time we try to take a picture, it, nothing worked. But then when we left the attic, the camera started working properly again, right? Yeah. So every time Barry Conrad would bring up like a video camera, it would fail. Um, right. But when he came back down, he tested this, worked fine. No problem. Right. Like practically the instant he took it out of the attic, it would work properly again. So... Um, bingo. Yeah. Poltergeist bingo. Yep. Poltergeist bingo. Uh, there was a nauseating smell that kind of moved into the attic. It was bingo. a stench of decaying matter. <laughs> There's another bingo for you. There's another bingo. <laughs> I'm telling you, this thing, it just, it just, it checks all the boxes. It's the greatest hits, man. It is the greatest hits. It is, um, you know, the Eagles greatest hits, 74 to 76, man, or whatever that one was. Uh, but, you know, um now you know what the skeptical say rob what well they that clearly these people were experts uh jackie knew everything about poltergeists and was yeah. simply picking and choosing from the grab bag of phenomenon and and mm -hmm. and what i will say to that is maybe barry taft maybe barry conrad knew about this stuff but i don't think jackie did i think i think what what jackie goes through i think she's just a a regular Joe or Jackie, mm -hmm. as it were. And I don't think she knew about the, the stuff. She's not like you and I. See, you and I, again, it, God forbid there's ever a poltergeist in any house we ever live in. No one's going to listen to that shit for one second. Yeah. We know a little too much. It's just uh, we're insiders. It's like we're, yeah. we're like we would be accused of the insider trading of the paranormal world. We know exactly. what what goes on we know what happens so um yeah. yeah um 
Larry Brooks handed Barry kind of battery packs for the failing cameras, but they still just wouldn't function uh, every time that he did. They shot a few more photographs before leaving the attic, but uh, as Jeff was about to go down, he started to act a little weird. Uh, His eyes were kind of like really wide uh, in his sockets and he was turning a little pale and he suddenly braced himself on the rafters and he proclaimed it's behind me. Uh, And Barry is up there. He's looking around. He doesn't see anything. So Jeff got down as quickly as he could and described to everyone the sensation of a cold bony hand trying to push him down the hole as he was descending so uh and and he doesn't describe this as like oh it's like a human hand but like a really like someone who um like a you know has a very like thin frail hand or like doesn't have a lot of meat on their bones he literally says it felt like it was a like a skeletal hand pushing him down um, yeah, and pushing him down really hard too. Yes, yes. Um, like it, it was, it would pushed him so hard in the back that it required a visit to the chiropractor, who stated that he had internal bruising on his back, and it made him. Uh, he was unable to work for several weeks after that, uh, according to him. Um, so this is the first attack. This is the first physical attack, right? Right. Right. And it's an Um, attack on Jeff. Yes. And it's not the last one we're going to hear about. Uh, Poor Jeff uh, in this case, or I don't know, maybe Jeff had it coming to him. I I don't, I don't really know. Um, know. Jeff should have taken the hint and recused himself from this case. Uh, For a while, for a while. Um, so in the attic, as after they had gotten out of there, they started to hear these like loud bangs that sounded like footsteps moving back and forth. Uh, and they were actually able to capture this on video. And we're going to include a, a portion of the audio here uh, right now. A few moments after Jeff and Barry left the attic, loud pounding noises began to emanate from the ceiling. And the whole feeling of the room just changed. It was, it went from all of a sudden from being just an interview to something that was actually happening. I mean, this, this was actually happening and nobody could explain it. What happened? It's like, it's something grabbed that out of my hand. I'm not kidding. Somebody grabbed the whole thing out of my hand. Just now. Just Just now. Just now. It grabbed the whole thing out of my hand. Yeah. Okay. Hear it? Hear it? He's walking back and forth up there. It is walking down. Quiet, everyone. Shh, quiet. Damn. There has been noises in this room that come from right in the center, right here. Go ahead and talk. Go ahead and talk. That's where the noises come from. Sometimes there's there's a noise like a deep hum, and it's come from right here in midair. Come from right. So you've heard noises in this room. Oh yeah, deep deep humming. It comes from right here, right in the center of the room. Jeff, he kind of peeked back into the attic briefly to see, and he sees these like kind of like three flashes uh, of light that appear out of nowhere, Um, and he could see this huge black mass that was moving about the attic. It was as big as three men standing together, is what he claimed. Um. 
around this time, Al Hernandez, who was in the room with the kids watching over them, heard a disembodied voice that night. In the tone of an evil old man, it stated, quote, tell them to get the fuck out of there. Uh, yeah. So. Well, that just sounds like me on a normal night. Ah. <laughs> uh. Rich had a number know how he will act if he becomes an angry spirit. Here we go. That's right. It'll be pretty pretty much like I acted when I was alive. Telling telling those telling those kids to get the fuck out of here. That's it. Which, by, that the way, it. by the way, yeah. Poltergeist Bingo, the disembodied yeah. voice, the angry yeah. disembodied voice. So And Al was the only one that heard it. Uh nobody else heard it. But uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's uh, the, the stuff piled on uh, for this uh, at the, on this particular night. And, you know, the activity continued throughout the home. There were moments when uh, lights cut out as they were filming. And uh, Jackie at once, uh, at one point, like slipped into this kind of like trance-like state, claiming that the ghost didn't want them there. Like she was picking up on these vibes. And um, at the uh, end of a long night, the entire team kind of just experienced just a, a plethora. They filled up their bingo cards, in other words. Of, uh, right. Uh, yeah, know. they sure did. Yeah. Unlike, I mean, this is the first night of the investigation, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and, it, and it's kind of uncharacteristic. Because yeah. most of the time they don't experience anything when they go to investigate it the first night. But like this thing is literally throwing the kitchen sink at them. They are literally throwing bingo cards left and right at these people. It's just everything. And, and, and you know, you can't win with these things because if mm -hmm. if nothing happens, then it's like, oh, yeah, it's like all those ghost investigation shows where nothing ever happens. Isn't that convenient? Oh, boy. Yeah. But on the other hand, if too much happens, now that sounds fake. You know, it's right. like, well, you couldn't possibly have this much stuff going on the very first night you investigate. But maybe you do. You know, maybe you do. Um, they, they, you know, they, 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 they got a lot, which mm -hmm. I can understand is what brings them back because it's like, oh, my God. We've, we we got the mother load here. I mean, we're going to prove everything with this one case. Just you yeah. know, bring in the cameras, bring in the recording devices, and let's just lock this, lock it all down. And the thing is, it's like this isn't a small group of people. There's like nine or ten of them there that night with like everybody included. It's a lot the of kids people there. and the yeah. neighbors and the babysitter and everything. Yeah, there's a little, there's a lot of people there. Yeah, the, the kids don't, uh, one thing that's surprising, the kids don't really experience a lot, or if they do, like, it doesn't register for them for some reason. It, it, it's, uh, you they know, the youngest be a part of this. Right, right. Um, not, not so much the target, but um, um, before they headed home, after they wrapped up the investigation, Barry Codrad and uh, Jeff Wheatcraft, they took their film to uh, Allen's custom photo in Hollywood and dropped it in the 24 hour uh, uh, slot. Just so you know, I, I checked out, I looked up Allen's custom photo in Hollywood. Did you? Could not find it. Okay. Couldn't find it. Now that doesn't mean it never existed. This story goes back 30 years. There could very well have been an Allen's custom photo in Hollywood. 
I just, I, I, I did a deep, deep 90 second search on Google and could not find it. So, uh, I, I was upset because if it did exist, you know, I would have gone there. Yeah. I know you would have, uh, Rich is putting in the work here, folks. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's the on-site guy. That's why I have him <laughs> right. on for these like California stories. Cause like, well, it seems yeah. like this, oh, I've been there. <laughs> this, this, this one is a lot of, I was going to, but you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, I would, I would have gone down to San Pedro, but it turns out the place wasn't there. And why would I just go down and take a picture yeah. of an empty lot? And right. then, Oh yeah, I would have gone into Hollywood, but I couldn't find Alan's custom photo. So I didn't, but, but right. rest assured folks, I've been to San Pedro and Hollywood and I would have happily gone back to either one of them. If I thought there was something to photograph. Yep. Absolutely. So they sealed it in an envelope. They put it in this uh, 24 hour drop slot. The next day, the employees of Alan's Custom Photos found the roll of film several feet away from the drop slot in the middle of the floor. The envelope, which Jeff uh, had um, his contact info and stuff, went missing. It was never found. Nobody knows what happened to it. And in one of the photos that Jeff shot behind him, there was kind of like an unusual light anomaly. It's nothing like you haven't seen on uh, film before. Uh pretty tame stuff but like later on in this case uh there's going to be a lot of interesting light phenomenon that's captured and there's one uh photo that is pretty infamous um that i'll uh i'll share with you because uh it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on it once we get to it but um yeah yeah a lot of a lot of light stuff going on which which in in a weird way you know does happen and, and it does happen in hauntings but but I almost feel like this is not as common in poltergeist cases, just like weird mm-hmm. lights starting around. I don't know yep. if, what your take on that is, but it that feels m- like it's more associated with UFOs. The weird exactly. And lights. Uh, there are moments where Barry calls them UFOs in the book because uh, they, they do kind of document it outside the home at times. But uh, yeah, like uh, light orbs like this aren't like gen- like when you see them uh, on camera and stuff these days, it's like usually like fast moving, like they could be mistaken for a bug or something like that, moving on a like straight line or something like that, which you right. get some of that. But like there are lights, uh, light balls in this thing that are more suggestive of like you know like the ghost lights or like the orbs that say uh were experienced on skinwalker ranch and stuff like that uh but yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah Yeah, mm -hmm. this this got a little this got a little skinwalkery yeah a little bit um so there was one final anomalous incident that night so jeff decided to crash on barry's couch um it was like, I, I want to say it was like 4.30 in the morning by the time that they had wrapped up their investigation. And Jeff awoke at like 6 in the morning claiming to see an old man in Barry's apartment. So that's kind of a little foreshadowing for stuff that's going to happen later on. But um, throughout the month of August, phone calls uh, from Jackie would become a regular thing for Barry. Like you, Barry was the was the contact and... Barry was the guy that uh, most often went out um, and would go to Jackie's house to document things. Uh, Jeff kind of avoided the place for a while, seeing as how he, you know, 
was kind of the target of a lot of the intense stuff. But uh, throughout the month of August, uh, she reported footsteps in the attic, mysterious shadows floating on the ceiling. She saw globes and flashes of light, muffled conversations between men and women, a man-like shadow that would float across the ceiling while, uh, while the children slept. Quote, it was like someone in a black, shiny raincoat. This thing would float slowly through the room and then hover over the daybed before disappearing into my ceiling. End quote. That. That right there is. It doesn't feel totally like ghost apparitiony. It kind of has uh, with, with some of the stuff that I'm reading lately, it kind of has feels a little more. Um, Shadow uh, people. Yeah, yeah, it's it seems shadow person like. Yes. Um, there's one case that I'm reading about right now that's it's going to be a future episode in which um, there's a lot of like UFO activity centered around a family, kind of like a poltergeist case. And in the home, they see um, apparitions of like um Men kind of wearing what you would think of as spacesuits. Uh, they oh, also boy. see, yeah, they also see like shadowy figures. So, like, there's some parallels here. I'm I'm seeing in in some of uh, what uh, she's experiencing. So, yeah, it's uh, it seems like there's like phenomenon converging all at once uh, in this like one freaking house, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, during one trip, a friend of Barry's, a guy named Brian Moore, accompanied him to the house. Uh, he was a skeptic, um, and he was kind of anxious to experience something. So around 11.30 p.m., Brian went into the kitchen with Jackie's three-year-old son to help him get some ice cream. Before long, he rushed back into the living room, claimed that he had heard a heavy sigh. And shortly after, the sounds of pebbles hitting their hot water heater could be heard. Uh, and their hot water heater was in the laundry room. So um, 15 minutes after that, Brian left and he had had enough. And they had all witnessed kind of some more flashes of bright white light uh, that were so bright, they kind of illuminated the entire room. So, again, that's interesting because that well, seems UFO-y. It does. It does. And, and it's, you know, I mean, just weird element after weird detail. What was the three-year-old doing up at 1130? That's my question. Yeah. What's a three-year-old doing having ice cream at 1130 at night? Again, I'm not saying anything about Jackie's parenting, but come on. As you can see, the uh, father, Richard Haddam has shown up in the, in the episode and he is now questioning parenting techniques. I get it. I get it. The, I think the heavy sigh they heard was me judging her parenting. <laughs> that's pro that's it right there, folks. We figured it out. This 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 sigh, literally the ghost saying, This is so cringe. Why is your kid up at eleven thirty at night? Come on. <laughs> There's a lot going on in that house, let me tell you. There is uh, you know, judgmental ghosts. I very judgmental. <laughs> i'm gonna call out the pebbles because this is the second time we've heard about uh the sound of pebbles hitting things yeah. and i will uh i will direct you to uh, a book by sd tucker called blythe spirits 
which is all about the poltergeist phenomenon and connecting it to uh, traditional uh, trickster folklore mm-hmm. and, and how they seem to overlap in a lot of ways. And the throwing of stones is central. And I didn't know that, that the throwing of stones and the stacking of stones, the appearance of stones were so prevalent in poltergeist um, cases, but apparently they are. Um, so uh, if you want a really interesting, almost literary look at pol- the poltergeist, uh, definitely check out Blythe Spirits by S.D. Tucker. Mm. Well, We've got a few uh, other poltergeist books that I'll recommend before, before the episode's over for your, for your Halloween reading. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, it's also interesting that, you know, rocks and stones are kind of affiliated with Bigfoot too. So like, you know, you got your parallels there. <laughs> That's right. Right. Yeah. The, the throwing of stones. I, yes. you're, you know, I, I think we're on to, I think the only people who don't throw stones are the, um, are the aliens. They don't throw stones, do they? Yeah. That's uh, that's true. Uh, they do all hmm. other sorts of weird stuff, uh, but they do not throw huh. rocks, which is great. Um, huh. yeah. So, so Good. there's, um, yeah, there's a the trip to the grocery store that uh, Jackie and Susan had made, and when they returned to the house, they found everything in shambles. Like it, it looked like mm-hmm. somebody had gone through the place. Uh, and the moment that Susan walked into the kitchen, the refrigerator door slammed open, causing some of the magnetic letters on the door to fall on the floor. And two of the letters that dropped nearby spelled out G-O, as in go, as in get the hell out right. of this place. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, but for the, she did four other letters spelled out stay. So, yeah, yeah what are you going <laughs> to do? right uh the same word was later scratched on the wall beneath the trap door to the attic oh okay all right all right well then then i guess i guess the message is clear uh the uh okay so the the word scratched onto the wall very poltergeisty the refrigerator letters spelling out a message very not poltergeisty i i have actually not uh encountered that one a lot have you rob no, not really. It seems obvious. It seems like right. the go-to if you're a poltergeist. It's like, oh, the letters are right here. I don't even have to go to the effort of scratching something into a wall. I can just arrange these letters. I can but just, I don't hear yeah. about it a lot. This is one of the only ones. Yeah. It's uh, it's not common. So, um, I mean, yeah. great. You know, it's great when uh, we can give them the tools to tell us to go fuck off. It's It's fantastic. <laughs> I can I can just picture your listeners now, like like madly scraping the letters off their refrigerators at this point, throwing them in the garbage. The so it's not to walk. You don't want to walk in and see you know uh, get the fuck out written in multicolored letters. Now, what about those little magnetic where it's the entire word and you do oh, the little God. funny sentences? Now, has anyone ever uh, experienced that? No, but I think. I think there needs to be experiments done. I think people need yeah. to get go and get some words, put them on your on your refrigerator, give them the the space and open it up to them to communicate with you and share your messages with us. I think we would be absolutely delighted. Just uh tweet them out to us. Uh I mean you're at Richard Haddam. I am yes. at y- your UFO guy. Just tweet them to us. Uh it would make our day. Uh we'd love to see it. 
you know there are people out there who are doing EVP experiments all the time. You know that there's mm-hmm. listeners doing all kinds of uh, their own occult explorations. Please but put the put the letters out, put the little magnetic things out, and and you know while you're doing your Ouija board or whatever it is you do to to draw the spirits to you, encourage them to use those. Uh, yeah. uh, tools to express themselves. And then please let us know your results. And I'm serious. I want to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do it up, get in contact with us. Um, on subsequent visits, the team would observe this um, strange amber liquid that would drip out of the cabinets. Um mm. Bob Moss. I tell you, there's, of, there, yeah. there's, some, there's some amber liquid in my cabinets just waiting for me to finish this uh, Yes, I, I'm sure. I'm sure they're they're uh, upset that they have not been consumed uh, at this point. But uh, That's right. you I'm going to collect some samples. <laughs> uh, that, like, look, folks, if uh, the next time you're going to have, you know, your nightcap or, or, or something like that, don't say that you know, you just need a drink. Just say you're going to collect some samples and you're going to test them. There you go. I, I'm, I'm testing this amber substance that, that has appeared. <laughs> it's, a, it's a flight of amber substances. And I'm going to compare them and see which one I like the best. And you know what, folks? If you don't have the receipt, it just appeared in that cabinet. It's That's just right. Out. What are you going to yeah. do? Right. You got to test it. If it appears, you got to test it. So, um, so Bob Moss, he's a friend of Barry's. He accompanied him on this particular trip. He claimed to hear kind of a heavy sigh uh, before Jackie was pushed by uh, some kind of unseen entity. Um, <sighs> so they discover a little bit later. They discover. <laughs> I'm doing the sigh just a bit. <laughs> yeah. This. Um, yes, we have the eternally judgy ghost uh, judging her parenting skills. Not really happy with her pushing her around. Yep, there it is. Uh, Rich is totally, totally gathered. My wife is very familiar with this heavy sigh. She'll tell you. Oh, I'm getting the heavy sigh. I'm like, yeah, maybe you are getting the heavy sigh. (laughs) Getting the heavy sigh. Uh, So they discover this liquid inside one of the cabinets. It's dripping down. It's a strange looking liquid that they actually got on camera. And I think they had... uh, seen it on the first night that they were there i'm not really sure but uh it was on a couple of successive trips that they did see it they collected this stuff in a baggie had it tested and determined that it was human blood plasma from a man and had high concentrations of copper and iodine let me refer to my notes i made a notation here uh oh fuck (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, blood <laughs> plasma leaking out of the this is problematic that goes there's no bingo card that i have that says human blood plasma from a man with a high concentration of copper and iodine which i don't even know what that indicates like what does that I, mean I it's got a lot of oh we gotta find out if there's right. a hematologist uh, in the audience. <laughs> is there a hematologist in the house? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if there is, 
please get at us. Uh, if you want uh, the email version, ourstrangeskies at gmail.com. Just uh, if you have a response for what that could mean, it'd be great to know. If you have a response for why this would be leaking out of a cabinet in someone's home when there's no dead bodies found, I'd be curious to know because it's it's plasma. It's plasma. Human blood plasma. Yes. I mean, that, that might be the most startling thing in the entire case. No, I have that. They got it. I mean, they yeah. got it in a baggie. Yes. No, this is the most startling thing ever. Okay. On multiple occasions, Chrissy Zikovich or Ziv, Zivkovich, I, I'm, it's a Russian name. I, I'm terrible at it. Uh, but she had witnessed the mattress of Jackie's daybed fall through the springs that were attached to the frame and onto the floor. Yeah, I, I, now you got to explain this. I can't. I don't know what's happening when when that you say that to me. What is happening? It's it's it, it's the 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 mattress is somehow falling through the box spring. Yes. What is happening here? Right. It's literally falling through the springs onto the floor. Or, or is it? Wait. Wait a second. Is it the box spring or is it just a netting of spring? that is supporting the mattress. It could be, it could be that, uh, but either way, like, so this is moving to... its matter, it's matter through matter. Is that what we're I, talking about? I think that's what they're getting at because like, there's <sighs> no way that that could happen. Cause like when you, you completely, just, I just, I literally just heavy side. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, sponge, exactly. I, just like, <sighs> I just, now I'm sorry. Can we, can we just get Jackie Hernandez on the phone? Maybe we're, Maybe we're missing the, that one element that we need. Can we just call her and ask her about this case? We we should. We really should. Um, has anyone has anyone looked her up recently? Do we know where she is now? Has anyone? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, I do, I do think she's still living. I think she's still alive. I don't know. She's still <laughs> living. Call that living. Uh, you know, I would look up Jackie Hernandez in the phone book, but in Southern California, there's going to be more than one. Right. Yeah. There's going to be a lot. And I don't know if she got married since then and has a new last name or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's um, Jackie Hernandez Hatton. Uh, Rob, oh, let me tell you, here she is. <laughs> Come on, Jackie. Let me sigh for you. <sighs> oh, there it is. There it is. On August 28th, Jackie placed a frantic phone call to Barry claiming that she had captured photographs of light forms dancing across the ceiling of the kitchen. The photographs look kind of like small cloud formation, like a really tiny cloud formation on the ceiling. I'll see if I could find it for you um, because I did. Oh my God. Yeah. If you've got it. Uh, yeah. I've got, I got, I've got the pictures. Okay. Well, <sighs> it's not impressive. I know, but it's, it looks weird because it's against the ceiling there. Well, okay. I mean, she took a picture, so that you know, more power to her. It it does just look like a, a, a reflection of a light uh, on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. So these pictures are hard to get. It's hard to you know, it's hard for for mm -hmm. this phenomenon to translate onto you know film. And this was a regular film camera because this was like 1989, so this was not an iPhone. Um, but there is, you do see, it looks like a little light, you know, uh, on the ceiling. Like if, uh, mm -hmm. so, like if there was a piece of glass, uh, that's kind of what it looks like. All right. Yep. 
So uh, Chrissy, this falls Zipko. into the category of yeah. if you were going to fake it, you'd do a better job than this. Okay, so it yes. must be real. Yes, um, but it is a step up from the um, Gulf Breeze photos. I would say it's uh, it's a little <laughs> bit better. Granted, it's not a UFO, but it's still okay. All right, um, all right. This is uh, what uh, Chrissy Zivkovich, who was there that night, uh, said when. Um, they uh, when she saw them, quote, they were very bright and luminous and they would jiggle, split apart and come back together. All the while they were floating on the ceiling. All the blinds in the kitchen were shut. So it wasn't a reflection created from the outside sunlight. Uh, they would move around a little bit, break apart and then come back together. All of this lasted about 15 minutes and suddenly the balls of light dissipated into one little ball and then vanished, end quote. Hmm. So. Um, Darlene um, again one of Jackie's friends she often would babysit her kids well, um, and she had gone on a date that night and before uh, she was uh, set to retire for the night she decided to go to the bathroom and looking to pass through the children's bedroom a voice stopped her dead in her tracks don't come in here is what it said and, hold on and, let, me, and, let me let me refer yeah. to my notes I yep. believe I put a notation. Ah, the words, oh, fuck. There it is. There it is, folks. There it is. <laughs> Back again. Uh, quote, and so I said, okay. And trembling, I backed away from the doorway to the couch and lay there and closed my eyes. I was afraid I might see something, but I did not. I wasn't sure what was happening. But I do know that no one besides those sleeping kids was in that room. And none of them could have spoken out in a gruff tone of voice, end quote. Um, yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. That's problematic. Uh, it's in there with is, the kids. It is. Um, I told her to get out and she did. What kind of, yes. I bet she didn't Don't get come a in here that night. Don't come in here. You've got and, a babysitter and babysitter goes in the room with the kids and, and, a, and a male voice says, get out. Don't come in here. You go in there, you turn on the yeah. lights, you find out what the hell's going on. So my question is, it's more parenting advice from me. No, it is more parenting advice, but like, do you think that that kind of reaction is unusual then? Like, in that, that, uh, is her, is she picking up on something that, um, something else? Like, because well, if it she was, knew, I mean, she, well, she knew it was, ha- I mean, like, she knew the house was haunted, right? I assume so. I'm pretty sure. But um, if you don't, then you're like, wait, what the hell was that? But if you know the house is haunted and you just hear this voice go, don't come in here, then mm-hmm. you go, oh, that's probably the ghost. Yeah, okay. Not yeah, that's fair. some creepy guy who got into the room. Fair point. It's fair some point. creepy dead guy who got in the room. It's some creepy dead guy, uh, basically a zombie, has gotten into the children's room and you are laying, right. letting them uh, be the meal for the zombie. Uh Rich, could you uh, rate this babysitting this babysitting performance on a uh, a size scale for me, please? There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. There it is. Uh, as you can tell, very disappointed. Um, but uh, everything culminated in early September, uh, leading to a handful of violent events. Uh, violent events, sorry, experienced by Jackie and Jeff Wheatcraft. Uh, Jeff is going to re-enter the story here. On September 1st, Jackie placed a call to Barry Conrad, 
the entity supposedly had tried to kill her that night. She awoke early that morning feeling a heavy pressure on her uh, and she was unable to breathe. Quote, I remember trying to break free of whatever it was and one of the kids moved beside me. I remember thinking, I've got to do it for them, for the children, because the thought of dying was going through my mind at that point. Um, and Barry Conrad describes... Um, describes what Jackie's experiencing as a struggle of wills, um, which she ultimately, ultimately is able to free herself of. Um, yeah. This sounds yeah. like an, like, like an old hag mm -hmm. sort of incident where, where, you know, it, it, only real, if I may, um, where, where, something, you know, there's pressure on the body. It's hard to breathe. It feels like there's an entity there. So yeah, th that's one of the more puzzling parts about the case. Cause typically I would just go, well, this is that hypnagogic sort of half sleep mm -hmm. thing that people experience, uh, which I have also experienced a mild case of once. Um, but, but this one sounds like no coupled with everything else that's going on, maybe it really was, uh, associated with the greater phenomenon. And it was an actual conscious entity trying to attack her. All right. Um, three nights later on the evening of September 4th, Barry was, he was hard at work completing an editing job for a client when his phone rang. 10.45 p.m., Jackie called, describing a flurry of activity, which included moans coming from the attic, doors slamming, and children's toys being uh, levitated off the ground. Um, so bingo. she basically, yeah. Bing, it, it, who's got the bingo? Who's got it? Yeah, just uh, hit me up. Uh, but uh, she kind of pleaded with uh, Barry to come over, and he did. So... He uh he was accompanied by his friend Gary Bame. Uh he was a longtime friend and colleague. Uh and he brought Jeff Wheatcraft with him. Uh Susan Castaneda was there. She she had come over too. And after conducting an interview with Jackie, Jeff and Gary agreed to go up into the attic. It was now about 12:49, and it uh Jeff was feeling uneasy. And as they began their <laughs> yeah, ascent, yeah, they detected this, the odor of rotting organic matter again. Still, they went into the attic, though everyone was like on edge at this point. Like there was like a tension in the air, uh, which is interesting because we we just released a few weeks ago the episode uh, entitled The UFO Window, which is kind of like a, a case that is very similar to the skinwalker ranch case it's a it's one of the best episodes we've ever done and if you haven't listened to it you need to go listen to it folks because it's it's really great but one of the things that drives the people off the property is this like inherent feeling of tension uh because there was like this uh kind of come to jesus moment with these aliens so it's a come to aliens moment uh <laughs> in which they uh like one of the people that lives there meets with the aliens and they're like all right look we can we can sort out a more equitable arrangement for you living here. We've put you through enough and all this kind of stuff. Um, so we've got a lot of tension in the air as they're going up into the attic. And down below, as 
Jeff and Gary are up there. There's like activity that's starting to pick up. There's like a small tadpole shaped amber light that flew near some blue curtains. And, you know, everybody's gathered in the laundry room, which uh, included Barry, Jackie and Susan. They started to feel like they were being just watched. And then all three of them heard very loud snaps as if someone was snapping their fingers directly in their ears. And they started to call up to the attic, telling them to get out of there. Like they felt that this was a signal that something bad's going to happen. So all of a sudden they hear a low groan coming from the attic amid cries of, and shouts of get out of there. Gary turned to Jeff and asked him if he was okay. Jeff uh, Jeff's flashlight had mysteriously gone out. He didn't know what happened to it. And um, forcing this uh, forced Gary to use the camera that he had. And he started to snap some pictures. And um, he heard Jeff say, there's something around my neck. Now, I'm going to throw in the most infamous photo of this uh, moment in the chat for you, because I'm sure it's going to look very familiar to you. Um, yeah, this is I'll, I'll throw in both of them. This is the first one. And this is the first photograph that Gary took of him. Um, just like describe it for everybody, because it's um, it's it's bone chilling to look at. It's so odd because it's it, it, just the way his head. So it's a full body shot of this guy sort of leaning. OK, there's there's uh, support beams that are vertical. Mm -hmm. Um, and then ones that are sort of tilted at, uh, like a 45 degree angle, maybe a, a little less, maybe a 40 degree angle. So sort of at a diagonal, if you will. And it, it appears that he has stepped sort of in between. So he's sort of standing in this V of two pieces of wood, one straight up and down, one leaning out. He's got a foot on either side and, and his head is pressed up against the sloped angle of the attic roof. And, and he's got sort of one hand, maybe sort of around the, the, the uh, diagonal piece of wood kind of, you know, supporting mm -hmm. him, but, but his head is tilted to the side and he almost has like a questioning look on his face. And, and, and so what, what is it we're supposed to be seeing here? What, what do we think is happening now? Um, Gary didn't know. Uh, he shot another photograph of Jeff. Um, and you can kind of see a little more clearly in this photograph what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, you can definitely see the date on the photograph, 8994, yep. which, by the way, is almost exactly 33 years ago to the yes. day that we're recording this. Yes, absolutely. It's one day off. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Now, now this is this picture is much closer. Mm hmm. Now here's what's odd. Now we're we're closer, and we're seeing him now. It, it looks like he's not straddling that diagonal piece of wood, but he's standing next to it with both of his hands on it, just sort of almost like not that he's leaning against it, but he's just sort of steadying himself. And his his head, his chin is sort of tilted down toward his chest, and there's just a little line up above his ear going to the. Uh, another cross beam in the attic. And now here's 
what what we come to understand from this photo when we learn more of the context is that he feels something around his throat. It feels like a piece of string or twine or, or light rope. And and that and that he, he, it was something was trying to strangle him or, quote unquote, hang him. Now, here's the thing, Rob, when you look at that picture, you see a little line going up, mm-hmm. but, but you don't see anything around the the cross beam it's not like you see a string wrapped around it or a rope wrapped around it it's just like a little a little something like i don't even know if it's a string it's just something behind his head that mm-hmm. seems to go straight up to that piece of wood and then it disappears mm-hmm. when it hits the the edge of the wood uh, so i it's really hard for me to understand what's happening right now yeah my feeling is that if you feel something around your neck, your hands are at your neck, but his hands are not at his neck. Now, I don't know if he's steadying right. himself, if he's off balance. What do you think? What do you make of these pictures? Uh, we're going to get into that right now. Um, so Gary turned and he ran to Jeff. Uh, you know, he's he's loudly crunching over these loose floorboards, um, desperate to get to him. Uh, and Jeff is... He claimed he he yells out. It puts something around my neck. Uh, as Jeff, um, he eventually gets him down. Um, so uh, this is his quote. This is Jeff's quote. All of a sudden, I have this thing around my neck, and it's pulling me up, and it hooks hooks me on something. Gary had to take me off. I was hanging there and it was pulling, 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 and I could feel something pulling on my ankles. Then Gary says, raise up, raise up. And I couldn't rise up. I couldn't rise up at all. I just kept, it just kept pulling the photos that Gary took, you know, you could see the cord wrapped around his neck. It's wrapped um, around a nail right above them, right above him. And the way that Gary explains it, he had to bend the nail down in order to get him off of it because of the way that the cord was wrapped around his neck. So suddenly um, there was a cord wrapped around his neck. It, yes. It, it does look, uh, if you look at the pictures, the first one and then the second one, if that's the order in which they're taken, it yep. looks like he was stepping over that he was trying to, he was like walking through the attic, stepping over a diagonal piece of, uh, right. you know, wood, uh, and then, and then felt something and then stepped back, like mm-hmm. brought his leg back and was sort of steadying himself. I guess maybe it makes sense. If you felt something that was pulling you up, you don't want to fall and you're afraid of losing your balance, which you don't want to do. So you're mm-hmm. sort of steadying yourself. Right. So maybe that's what we're seeing here. Um, I think the the most telling thing about it is the placement of the head because the placement of the head does not look normal for somebody who would be making those kind of movements. To me, they wouldn't be up like that, like because you can look and it looks like his his neck is kind of uh, being pulled up a little bit if you um, if you look at them and. So the first picture you said is the first picture chronologically that was taken. Yep. Okay. So, all right, all right. It's from a lower angle, so then, then, uh, so then Gary went back up into the attic. Like, wait, right. what's what's going on? And then he unhooked him. Okay, but but yep. but all of this just sort of happened, like out of nowhere. Yes, it was just like out of nowhere. Suddenly, there's something around my neck, and it's a rattle thing, and it's just there. It is. 
Yeah. Um, this is another quote from Jeff. It was so quiet up there. It was so quiet, but it was sneaking around us. It must have been because I felt that there was nothing there at first. We were ready to come down. Gary was going and I, you know, I was about to come down and like, that's when he feels um, that thing around his neck. So basically when he's like kind of uh, grasping the board and he kind of has this, he has this leg a little bit over one of them, he's in the motion of trying to like get over it to get back to the entrance. And that was when right, 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 he right. felt it. It's like something, it's like if you get caught on something, you, you stop moving forward, you step back so that yes. you don't, you know, yeah. Okay. I think what it, what always gives me pause with those photographs is just the placement of his head because in the motions that he's like that you assume that he's trying to do in that first photograph when he's trying to get down his head shouldn't be that high like it shouldn't his head should kind of be like you know focused on where he's going but it's not right you're in an attic you you're 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 more likely to be sort of hunched over and sort of yes. ducking down a little bit not stretched up with your head at a weird angle up against the, yes. the sloped roof of the attic yeah, yeah i get that yeah yeah so like these these two photographs are infamous it's probably the most infamous thing about this case and has probably like has a greater life beyond it is these two photographs um and it was during all this excitement after uh jeff and gary get out of the attic and as jeff is coming down he still has the um the line attached to his neck i'll see if i can find the picture of that too and there was, and they later documented a like a red mark around his neck too. So it had done enough to leave an impression. So that's the little that's the the loopy part mm -hmm. that was over the nail. Yep. And then so he's sort of holding it up, but it's not still around his neck. Uh, I think it, no, it is still over his neck. It's he's still kind of like wearing it around his neck right now. Oh, there's, okay, so there's going behind his head. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe. Yeah. It, it, okay, yeah. I, I mean, again, it's, you know, it, it, it's a guy with, a, you know, this cord around his neck, and he's sort of pointing to the looped area. Right. Um, yeah, very weird. It's very weird. So is, like, um, the knot. The knot looks very weird in that. Um, and there's a, and there's a reason that I say that we'll get into it eventually, um, that may have a connection to some of the stuff that goes on, but, uh, right. Yeah. During, during all of this, like everybody's frantic, there was this moment where Barry Conrad was holding a camera and, uh, I think it was like Susan and, and somebody else may, saw this like light, uh, this like, um, light phenomenon kind of go into Barry and he started to get like really faint and really like uh, lightheaded and, and, and stuff. And like, he almost fell down. They had to get the camera from him. And uh, that's when everybody decided to move out of the house. Um, the cord around Jeff's neck was apparently made of thin clothesline that was pliable and flexible and may have had like a vinyl coating on it. And 
almost yeah like almost like a yeah like a wire almost in a weird way mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i think i yeah I, I i think i know what they're talking about yep so jackie started to pull her kids out of the house and uh she had put her daughter samantha outside in kind of like a um a bassinet or something and she decided that she was going to go say with susan so as she placed her outside totally fine no problem as they were coming back through again they noticed this kind of red smudge on her forehead um was it plasma uh it they they said it kind of looked like blood um i'll see if i can i think i took uh because it was in did it have a high level of copper and iodine in it yeah right um i not that i'm aware of but um it it, like it it just mysteriously appeared on her um here we go yeah on on her newborn daughter's forehead when blood mysteriously appears on your newborn infant it's time yeah i i i think you wrap things up yeah, so there is the photograph of that. Let me see. Oh, that doesn't look too bad. Right. Oh, it, I fine. mean, it's oh, not that like could they, be anything. Well, <laughs> they, yeah, they, uh, they, they wiped it off. Uh, that, that was kind of Jackie's breaking point. But um, following the events that took place on the night of September 4th, like the nature and focus of the investigation changed from, um, you know, one of just like blank documentation, document everything to exploration, trying to get to the bottom of this, searching for answers. Uh, And three days later on the 7th, they consulted with a psychic down the street. Her name was Yolanda. And Yolanda spewed some crap about ancient Indian burial grounds, which is bullshit, folks. Anybody who says ancient Indian burial grounds, fuck off. Okay, that's that's a bullshit stereotype that was kind of made famous by the amityville case like that's really where it set off so like if if ancient indian burial grounds are in your repertoire get them out because it's bullshit um but uh she kind of said that there were multiple spirits responsible for the haunting she didn't really provide a lot of good information because again she was spewing kind of bs so they ultimately decided to do a Ouija board session on their own. Now, this is a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. I don't think in this house you, this is gasoline on a fire, bringing in a Ouija board. Right. Uh, With this place, I don't even think you need a Ouija board. Can't you just just sit down anywhere in the house and start asking questions? Yeah, probably. Get your, um, you know, your magnets uh, on the fridge and have them do it like that. But uh, yeah, this is uh, uh, September, September 24th. At 4.20 in the morning, which seems like a joke to me. I'm just saying 4.20 in the morning is a bit (laughs) much. But, um, you know, as they started to communicate, they started to hear thumps above them. Uh, They started hearing whistling sounds. They heard movement in one room. And several times the planchette just like flew off the board. And when they asked for the entity's name. Rob, even the planchette didn't want to be there. Yeah, the planchette was like, what are you still doing here? Get the hell out of this house. Um, like, I'm out of here. You guys, good yeah. luck. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like, they're doing this session, like, 
weeks later after the events had happened. So still it's like, okay, well, we're, we're going to fully, you know, go hawk on this thing and, and, and just do everything. So uh, when asked what the spirit's name was, it kept replying with the letters S M E. And these same letters would just come up multiple times. They learned that there were five spirits causing the haunting. And when asked if the spirit, uh, was sad it responded yes sme um when asked how old the spirit was a loud distant cry was heard coming from the back of the house 5040 was the response oh boy mm. that's yes. pretty old that's a long time to be in san pedro it, it is it's a very very long time so after this, Jackie temporarily reconciled with Al, and they moved to the town of Weldon, which is 300 miles north of San Pedro, in October of 1989. And everything directly was north. Yes, direct. Dir pretty it's, much it's, directly. It's like north. yeah, just directly north. And I yep. think was it so? It, it was. It was October of 89. Okay, so yep. the next thing that happened was in 1990. Okay, got it. Yep. So everything was peaceful for months. Uh, uh, and I wrote that down wrong. Damn it. Okay. Uh, until March of 1990, when the activity started up again, there was one afternoon after, uh, you know, driving in from Los Angeles, Al, who had been asleep in the afternoon, he just woke up and he was in this like really relaxed state and he meandered outside to their storage shed behind the trailer. And the, and the storage shed is going to become like the attic. Now it is the central, kind of um, place which the spirits seem to be coming from. So Jackie looked out the window at him and watched her husband just staring blankly through the shed door. And he staggered back to the house shortly after. And this is, this is where the uh, domestic violence comes into play. Um, Al stood in the living room, just looking at Jackie and she was terrified and that was when she saw a plume of gray smoke fly into the back of Al's head. And that was when he became very aggressive. Uh, she claimed like a wild animal. He hit Jackie across the face. The two struggled for a period of time before Al collapsed on the floor, the puff of smoke leaving the way it had entered. A penetrating cold entered the room, signaling that the entity was back. And later that day, she went to retrieve a pair of sandals from the black back closet she found the words or found the letters a l scratched into the bedroom closet kind now, of like did that stand for astonishing legends it should it should um uh we're giving them free plugs i mean those guys are struggling let's give them a plug you know they, they need all the help they can get these days I, i'm sure of it how did the uh, ghosts know way before that podcast even was happening to, I know. to, you know, to uh, astonishing Al was making an appearance. That's weird. Uh, it, astonishing Al made an appearance in that attic in San Pedro. And then it made another appearance, uh, just making his presence known in this case. So astonishing Al gets around. He totally gets around. I guess so. It, it, uh, uh, and then flies into people's heads and makes them attack people. So yeah. I don't know what that's about, but I you think know, they that's, need to talk yeah, to him. That's, like, to, that's Scott yeah. Forrest's problem. Yeah, that is. Uh, can you um, give me a sigh rating for how well they've done in this case, uh, making sure that Al doesn't attack people and like making sure that, you know, Al makes people feel safe and uh, is a good mascot for the show? 
<laughs> there it is. There it is, folks. <laughs> My highest rating or lowest, <laughs> if you look at it that way. Yes. Uh, a few days later, after Jackie had gone into town for groceries, Carissa, the, the daughter of Jim and Janice Silcott, they were neighbors and friends, were watching her children when she heard pounding sounds coming from the children's bedroom. They grew more and more intense, sounding as if the entire house would come crashing down. The pounding ceased when she peered into the bedroom. Scratching sounds in the storage shed would become a nightly ritual. Often this, often when this uh, was occurring, the chirp of crickets would just die down, kind of like you've got the Oz effect going on here, which is interesting uh, to me. But, yeah. Um, now, now the, the people uh, listening, your listeners, um, f- may not be familiar with this idea that you know. I mean, okay, we, so we, we this was the San Pedro haunting, mm-hmm. and now it's the Weldon haunting. Well, what's going on? Was the house haunted or are the people haunted? Because now it seems like the people move and where the place they move to is now haunted. This yes. does happen. This does. I mean, you've heard of this. I've heard of this. It's not super common, but it's not unheard of. Yeah. So uh, this will come up in another Ouija board session because there was more than one. They did more than one. And, and oh, one boy. of them is going to yield some interesting answers. Um, so uh, there was one day when two boys were passing by the storage shed on their way home from school and there was this wind that suddenly picked up and died back down and passing the front of the storage shed the heavy door mysteriously pushed open as if by a strong force and what sounded like bags of trash being moved came from the inside scared the boys walked on and in response the the shed started to shake violently as if it was caught in an earthquake so okay now this this is pretty weird i Um, I, i'm sort of i'm dividing all this phenomenon into the unheard of and the heard of the heard of stuff is the poltergeist bingo so far the things that i think that have happened in this case that are unheard of are the the appearance of a cord around someone's neck Mm -hmm. out of nowhere that, that appears to be trying to hang him I, I, and this, the, the gray smoke suddenly entering someone's head and making them turn violent. And then that smoke leaving and the person's aspect changing again. These are things I have never heard of in mm-hmm. any other case ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the, uh, the other stuff. Yeah. You know, the shaking shed, not common, but okay. Scratching sounds. Definitely. That's poltergeist bingo. Um, so, so uh, th- 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 that's why this case sort of hovers in this weird area of what the fuck, like, what do we right. make of this? You know? Um, so, so yeah, that, 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 that's, that's my division. I don't know if you've heard of things or other things are unfamiliar to you, but that's kind of where I fall on this case. There's a small handful of things that I've just never heard of before happening in any case ever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this this case is full of a few of them, few 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 elements that just they don't make sense, uh, and they don't really crop up often in yeah. other poltergeist cases. Yeah, this like this case is kind of one of a kind in many ways. Yeah. Um, 
so Tina Lawler, who um, Jackie's 16 year old daughter, um, uh, which is a neighbor, uh, would often babysit uh, because Carissa didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, as you can imagine, yeah. anybody would, wouldn't want to do so. On one occasion, while she was uh, making out with her boyfriend in the hallway, they both yeah. started. Yeah, they, they both started All to right. feel. <laughs> yeah, they did. They started to feel uneasy, and out of the corner <laughs> of her left eye, she noticed a dark gray mist moving in front of the closet doors. On another right. occasion, now, this is something that, that yeah. this, this is something that Susan does all the time. Right, right, right when things are getting hot, suddenly oh. she sees a gray a gray mist, yeah. and and that's it for the evening. So yeah. this, you know, this is a heavy sigh. Okay, uh, can you do that heavy sigh for us, please? Uh. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Um, so. On another occasion, uh, because Tina experienced kind of stuff on her own uh, quite a bit. Uh, she was hanging out with Jackie and they both heard the toilet sleep seat slam down hard. And there was a cold spot in the room. Um, you know, just weird stuff. The most dramatic event occurred when Jackie and Tina were watching TV. They smelled smoke in the air and rushing down the hallway. They found the bedspread in Samantha's room smoldering three holes that resembled a face with long horns coming off of them. Like uh, there was something like they couldn't explain really well what caused the burns in this, um, in this mattress. Yeah. I can, I got a picture of that for you. Oh, it's, good. Oh, I was just going to say that. I'm like, now this is something I'd like you know, a picture of. I want to see the face with the horns. We'll see yep. what it actually looks like. But but um, uh, again, things catching on fire, not unheard of. Uh, that's an easy poltergeist bingo. Right. Right. It, it, it does occur from time to time. There you go. All right. Let me let me see if this is any good. Here we go. Here we go. Ooh, not bad. Well, yeah, the little curl of smoke does give the impression yeah it's like a little burn that sort of yeah. curls up so it's like oh yeah those are kind of horn like or maybe those are eyes and that's the thing um yeah okay all right those are weird burns i yep. i give it my my middleest rating middleest it's getting the middleest rating uh on the richard haddam scale of poltergeist phenomenon so yeah. well, right in the middle on april 1st 1990 Jim and Janice were helping Jackie move a TV into the storage shed. And like, this thing is like large and bulky. It's huge. Uh, it's kind of like a TV that's inside of a stand. So it, it requires multiple people to uh, lift it. And while they were all helping move this, uh, Janice stopped and raised a trembling hand toward the screen, noting that there was a face in the corner of the screen, and it was the face of an old uh, of the old man that Jackie had seen. Like uh, in every way, like they described it very similarly. Um, Jim, at first, he saw it. He believed it was a smudge on the glass, but when he tried to wipe it away, uh, the, this icy stare turned toward him. This old man was looking at him, quote, to me, it looked like an old man with real mean eyes. That was the thing that got me, was the eyes. Um, the face was lifelike, it was articulate, and it moved. Quote, the feeling Let's I see, got... What, what, yeah. What's my note here? What's my note? 
oh fuck that's my <laughs> uh the feeling i got was that he didn't want to be discovered and when we did it made him angry that's the kind of feeling you picked up from it but when i saw those hateful eyes it just made my skin crawl recalled janice um, well, you know what? If you don't want to be discovered, don't show your face on the surface of a TV screen that people are moving into a different room. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. Just advice it, to a ghost. Advice to a ghost. That's Richard Haddam's new podcast coming soon. Advice <laughs> to a ghost. Um, I like that. Yeah. Jackie was updating Barry, making phone calls weekly. And after the TV incident, poltergeist activity became a daily occurrence again. Jackie started to see bizarre skeletal shadow figures standing beside the shed very often. Uh, light phenomenon was big inside the home, similar to the luminous cloud seen in the San Pedro home. These lights seemed to jiggle and ripple as they moved. Uh, on one occasion, the sofa would levitate and vibrate. While Jackie was on the phone with Barry, she heard growling coming from outside the trailer. And pulling back a curtain, she observed a pack of wild dogs growling at her trailer. This occurred after her dog, a Labrador named Samson, came in looking for food. While the pack of dogs growled at her trailer, Samson was uh, levitated and thrown against a wall. This is not okay. No, no. I do not... I do not cotton with the harassing of animals nope. by a spirit. Nope. So now nope. it's pissed me off. Yep. Now we are angry. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture of the light phenomenon that she covered, that she captured, like one of the best photos that mm. um, she captured during this time. It hasn't been altered or anything. I predict I will be unimpressed, but let's see. Let's the three the three objects appear. Oh, hold on! In this final exposure, Jackie moved closer to the bald shaped, the bald shaped trio yeah. of lights. Yeah, they're bald shaped. Uh, puzzled Alan's custom photo lab in Hollywood makes another appearance. They they. Yeah. Uh, oh, Alan! Alan! Oh, that's him! Oh, that must be the Alan! Oh, now I've got a, a last name. Alan Wedderts of Alan's custom photo lab in Hollywood was puzzled by the fact that the mystery orbs did not project light onto the background wall as one might expect, considering how bright the objects appear. That's really interesting. I, mm -hmm. I'm back in. Now, where, where was this? What room of the house or what, where, what, what are we looking at here? I think it was in the living room right next to a wall. Uh, because there are other yeah. photographs, like there was a series of photographs that she took, and like those, like those have form to them. They have like a distinct shape. They have a distinct, like what looks like a texture to them, which is very yeah. smooth. Um, uh, this is uh, here's another photograph of like the light phenomenon right before she snapped that one. It's from farther away, but you get the kind of idea. Uh, of what it is. Oh, oh let's see. Oh, the three lights begin to. Oh, huh? Yeah, you do. It, it. It's like it's shining onto the ground. It looks mm -hmm. like, but not really upward uh, as much to the wall. Okay, right. it's not bad. Uh, they coalesced 
into an amorphous configuration, still silent yet hovering above the floor. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so Barry and Jeff would come down to investigate. Uh, and Jackie had taken to using the Ouija board very frequently to talk to the Bad spirits. idea. You know, Bad uh, idea. Um, Big sigh. Big sigh. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. You're going to get what you're going to get from it. Um, um, so on this visit down, Jeff immediately saw like a shadow moving within the shed. And, uh, you know, he observed these kind of like purple flashes of light too, which is interesting. It's an interesting color. Um, and they conducted a, a Ouija session and the answers that would come forth were terrifying, just like absolutely terrifying. And again, this being identified itself as SME. They were uh, they were four this time, not five spirits. And when asked where they were from, they replied, hell. Um, and when asked if it was evil, it said yes. The, uh, now, being... now, to my mind, this this is a wasted follow up question. Mm. If sure. they say they're from hell, I think we can dispense with. Are you evil? Right. Right. It's I think, uh, it's... I th I think we got that. Yeah, I think we got um, it. Uh, the being identified itself as a ghost. It was an angry ghost made angry by everyone at the table, which included Barry, Jeff, Jackie, <laughs> and Tina. And during a lull of the session with their hands on the planchette, they received the message, I must grieve always. The temperature in the room dropped and the candles went out. Um, I'm, I'm with the ghost. I'm angry at these people too. Yes. Uh, things are going to get violent. In, in this in this uh, Ouija session, but uh, the entity things, claimed, things are going to get 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 yeah. super violent uh, up up in this Weldon bitch trailer house. <laughs> Weldon bitch trailer house. It's uh, it's a bitch and trailer house. Um, the uh, the entity claimed it was born in 1912. That it was trapped. That it had been uh, for 60 years. That it was 60 years old and had died in Pedro Bay. When asked how they died, they claimed that they were held underwater in 1930. When Jeff asked, what is your real name? The response was, I cannot reveal myself now. Which kind of gets back to that thing about the rules that uh, Forrest always talks about. Like there's certain rules. They can't violate the rules. And one of the rules is they can't tell you who they are. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Or if they do, it's not true. Right. Uh, exactly. And that leads to, um, you know, uh, leads to situations kind of that happen, like in the vertical plane, for instance. And, and uh, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, there, are, there are a couple of cases like that. So um, they continue to ask questions. When asked what the balls of light are, they responded, inhabitants of hell. When asked how they traveled from place to place, they responded, teleport. So that kind of gives you an idea that these things travel. Um, uh, the most chilling response came when they asked why they hated Jeff so much. The response was, he has the likeness of my killer. Okay, that'd do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that uh, that's, that's why Jeff's target here. Looks like the killer. So finally, yeah. they asked if there was anyone in the house they hated. 
Jeff was the response. Then again, I think we've established that. It's like I told you but, I hate Jeff. Yes. What more do I need to say? How do I prove that I hate Jeff? And, and the way that they prove it is they levitate him into the air, much like the dog, and they throw him against the wall. This again, I'm fine with. <laughs> I, I I have no problem with this. <laughs> I would throw um, Jeff against the wall too. I, at this point, I, as a ghost, I am so frustrated. I've traveled across dimensions to try to communicate and they just keep asking me the same shit over and over again. Finally, yeah. it's like, you know what? I'm going to throw Jeff. I, I, I say, well done. Well <laughs> done uh, and well done. And, and, and we're going to release the video for this on Patreon, but uh, I just like to note for patrons that what you're looking at in the background with me right now is a dramatization of Jeff being thrown against the wall during that week's session. <laughs> Yeah, and and as I've pointed out, that's not a trailer. They're in a they're in a full ass house. Yes, it's a it's a nice house. But uh, yeah, Jeff was thrown against the wall, and he lay there unconscious for a short period of time before coming out of it. Um, Jeff, though, I give him props. He didn't want to. He didn't want to wuss out. They wanted him to leave. They wanted him to get out. But uh, Jeff was like, "No, let's just finish this Ouija session." Um, uh, the entity. Uh, you know, they all gathered up. They continued the Ouija session. The entity expressed how important it was that the information could never be, could never leave these group of people, could never be, you know, um, uh, broadcast. No information must leave our circle. It is certain death, is what it said. It revealed that... Of course, now here we are with the information, so they clearly did not follow those instructions, so... Where so, I just want to know who died right. of certain death. Right. Um, and what's interesting is like, again, going back to that episode I did, the UFO window, the entities that were there, the aliens, uh, if you want to call them that, they didn't, I don't think they called them aliens. They weren't sure exactly who they were or where they came from. But they, at one point, uh, because they took to communicating through uh, stereo at one point, basically said, kind of the same thing like i um they the voice said something to the effect of uh we expect you know your guests to uh make uh to keep the our um existence uh you know a secret basically same kind of thing don't talk about them don't talk about us to anybody don't do it um so uh there's interesting parallels between these two cases uh, which is cool because like one's more UFO-y and this one's more spirity. So um, it revealed that it uh, diminishes when daylight comes, um, forcing it to depart till nightfall. And when asked if it would leave Jackie alone, its response was 13 months. And that's like soon after the Ouija session ended, uh, mostly because like, uh, they were doing this late at night and the sun was coming up. So, um, uh, Barry took all that they had learned from this Ouija session, went back to San Pedro and he did some research and he hit the microfiche hard, man, like super hard. And he was I love that. But that's my favorite yeah. detail in the whole thing yeah. is that when he, when he went to research something, he had to hit that microfiche hard. He did that. He did. That tells me what era we're in. That is, mm -hmm. these are my people. This is my timeline. 
that when research meant you go to a library and you go to the mm-hmm. basement and you hit the microfiche, that's what I call research. Yep. He was able to find information about a man whose body was found under a wharf in San Pedro Bay. The body had been in the bay for nearly two weeks by the time it was found, and there was a large wound on top of the head. The man's identity was later revealed to be Herman Hendrickson, an itinerant seaman who worked aboard a lumber steamer named Astoria. He was well, born I guess in... that explains the initials S-M-E. Uh, perhaps. Oh, perhaps. wait, not at all. No, it doesn't. Not at all. That uh, would be more H. H. We never got HH, but okay. All right. No. All right. Um, so he he was born in Norway on June 27th, 1890. The cause of death was listed as compound fracture of the skull and subsequent drowning. Um Barry was introduced to an old seaman named Luke Colgis uh through Susan. He looked at the footage of the night that Jeff Jeff was hung in the attic and said that the knot uh, used to hang him was a bowline knot, meaning that whoever hung him in, who whoever hung him, had some knowledge about being on a boat. I think what Luke actually said was, that's a bowline, not... <laughs> uh, quote, this knot is very is very dangerous in the sense that once tied, it cannot come loose. If wheat craft had been elevated several feet higher above the attic floor and dropped down, the rope might've snapped his neck, end quote. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he'd been on a gallows and it had been a hundred years ago and he had been accused of horse thievery, it could have resulted in his death by hanging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, they, they emphasize that the knot, because there is a knot in there, um, which if, uh, if it is that kind of knot, that's interesting because, um, you know, look, this ghost, this ghost knew his, his boat knots. Yeah. Yep. Just knew those boat knots. So the earliest owner of the house which was built in 1905, was a man named John G. Damon, who died in the house on December 1st, 1913. And I believe this explains S-M-E. No, it doesn't, but... uh, Oh, you're right. No, it's J... That would be J-G-D. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, you're right. No, you're right. You're right. 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 Yes. Uh, Spoiler alert. We don't get any kind of conclusion on the S-M-E front. We don't know. We don't know if this is like some entity of hell or whatever. But um, wait a second, do you remember Peter Pan? Do you remember the? the yes, the me. Disney yes, me. On they did make that comparison in the book that uh, the only thing that they could think of with like, the name Smee was uh, Captain Hook's right hand man. Yeah, yeah. Captain Hook neither right hand man because guess what he didn't have. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we know we know. Um, it's me. They were, they were haunted by a by an animated sailor. All yeah, right. and it explains the knots. I will say that. Yeah. So in May of 1990, Jackie drove down to visit Susan, and while she was tidying up her bedroom, both women noticed a softball-sized light that appeared outside of an open window. 
The two women followed it to the nearby Harbor View Memorial Cemetery, and it led to the grave of John G. Damon. You know? <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. Mm-hmm. They followed a light from their home to a cemetery to a particular grave. Yeah. Okay, that's all. Just hold on, hold on, hold on. Here it comes. <sighs> there it is. There it is. Uh, a few days after the seance, Jackie captured the best photographs of the light phenomenon that was occurring in the home. Uh, those are the f- photos that I showed you. I forgot that this is where that, that part okay. came in, but uh, okay. the lights okay. would dart around and wobble and then split apart like the ones I saw in the other house. Before long, the luminous objects vanished, and upon doing so, Jackie ran out front and called for Tina come over and and see if they might reappear quote i saw what looked like a pool of water in a very narrow dish with a light under it every time jackie took a flash photo it would seem to ripple real hard but when she was when she wasn't taking pictures it would only ripple a little bit um and you know tina was present for this entire um uh exchange but uh the lights would dart around and wobble and then split apart like the ones uh, that I saw in the house before long, the luminous objects vanished. And upon doing so, Jackie ran out front. uh, Oh, I apparently put that in there twice. What the hell? Um, So hold on my, my reaction. You put it in there twice. Uh, There it is. Uh, That's my fuck up. Um, So in May, After um, several domestic incidents with Al, she moved into a shelter in Lakewood um, before moving back to San Pedro. Uh, And she did experience some paranormal activity while at the shelter. And um, there was like a a luminous apparition that she saw with like another resident that was living there at the time. So about two months later, the focus of uh, who experiences the phenomenon shifts, interestingly enough, which I've never heard of this happening before. This is new to me. So it's the 4th of July, 1990. Will Smith hasn't yet kicked alien ass, but the phenomenon would show up on Barry Conrad's doorstep. After falling asleep to the drone of his window air conditioner, he awoke early the next morning to the sound of an explosion. The room around him was silent. It was 3 a.m., the witching hour. He discovered that the lower right portion of his window had been broken, leaving a triangular-shaped piece of glass in the window frame. His air conditioner was off. This is by far the most horrifying part of this entire story. If, yeah. if, if, if you're in LA in the summer and your air conditioner goes off, let me tell you. Yep. I'm sitting here right now today. It's 102 outside. It's been this way for three days. It's going to be this way for five more days. Don't even tell me about an air conditioner malfunctioning or even briefly going off or mm-hmm. I will lose it. Like, in terms of like horror stories that that seems to be like the peak of it like my generation grew up 
believing that quicksand was going to be a big problem for us, which turned out to be a total lie. Thanks a lot, William Shatner on Rescue 911 and every other cartoon <laughs> that I watched as a kid. Uh, but, um, you know, it's um, the real horrors are the lack of air conditioning on hot days. It's it's absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Yep. That's no joke. That's no joke. And if and if a ghost is pulling that shit, then I say, I, I'm I'm calling it an, an exorcist because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna settle with with a ghost fucking with my air conditioner. It's just not gonna happen. How? I mean, where are you? Where, you're you're in upstate New York right now. Is it really bad right there? It's 80 degrees today, and it's like <laughs> humid as hell. It's humid as hell. You know what's weird though? In LA, it's humid. That's not normal. Things are getting weird out here. That's yeah. You guys need to get that shit on lockdown because that's weird. Yeah. That's very weird. Uh, normally, it's a more <laughs> pleasant heat. Yeah, it's hot as hell, but like, it's it's not like you're swimming in the air. But now that you are, um, yeah, that's pretty much yeah. what summer is like for us up here. It's it's like yeah. high humidity, and I hate it. Yeah, um, it's no fun. But but you're used to it. But when I I walked out the door this morning, and it was like walking into a a a, a hot wet blanket mm -hmm. yeah that's yeah, exactly rough. it so, oh i can't take it anymore too scary oh it's gonna get scarier so suddenly his clock radio blared to life in the silence shadowy figures uh -oh. moved about in the room and several steps could be heard on the hardwood floors in the apartment thinking that his home had been broken into um quickly as mine came to a new fear that the entity had found its way into Barry's home. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, okay. We covered a case called the Tahunga UFO contact. Yeah, the Tahunga Canyon alien contacts, yeah. Right, and and wasn't there sort of a weird contagion going on where yeah. certain people were seeing things and then other people who heard about it then started saying, like, like again, this is weird. I mean, it's weird, but it's not, it's not unheard of because I think... This also happened with uh, Skinwalker uh, Skinwalker Ranch, isn't the isn't the thing at Skinwalker where people will experience things at Skinwalker Ranch or just go to yeah. Skinwalker Ranch and perhaps not experience anything, and then upon leaving, phenomena will begin occurring in their lives. I have heard of that. Yep. Yeah. It's so maybe right. that's kind of what's going on here. This is just a particularly uh, a persistent the, phenomenon. The thing is, is like. It's not just like, hey, this thing followed me home and I experienced a few things. This thing plagued Barry for a couple of months, which like like to the in, almost the intensity of like what Jackie experienced. When when you hear those other experiences, it's like they may experience a few things. Barry like went through a blistering period where like this poltergeist would harass him every five minutes. Uh, is, is what's sure. going to happen here. So um, he would often find places, uh, things in odd places. The poltergeist was fond of placing a tripod, a camera tripod on his bed and moving these scissors around that he had in his, uh, his kitchen. Um, uh, actually, there's a good photograph of the, um, this happening in, and there's a picture of like Jeff uh, with uh, this tripod. I got a, all right, I'm sharing an image with you. They would often find this tripod okay. on top of uh, 
Barry's bed and these metal scissors, which are, you know, like the classic old school metal scissors. Uh, he had two oh, pairs no. of them and they would be found so under, his, under his pillows, basically. That is weird. And the tripod thing is weird. I, that, now that's classic poltergeist. I like yeah. that. This is okay. I like this. Yeah. It's old school. Uh, yeah. So uh, the poltergeist was fond of placing that uh, there. It was fond of turning his gas burners on the like full. And there are images of that. Um, I have a feeling it's going to look like uh, it's going to look burners like, on a stove. Uh, pretty much like the flames are at a, here is one photo of it. They walked into the room and they just captured a photo right there. Let's see. Uh, huh. Oh, it, wow. That flame is quite high. I, I'll yeah. give him that. But that doesn't even look... Oh, no, it's burning a piece of paper. Yes. That's yeah. a piece of paper burning. Yeah. Okay. Um, so All right. There was, um, there was one evening when uh, Barry was working on a project uh, with Jeff. So, like... Um, after that series of incidents that had happened that one night when it pretty much denounced itself to Jeff, occasionally it would do something, but like on, uh, there were two successive nights that, um, with Jeff that things got really intense. So after working on a project one evening with Jeff, they returned to his apartment and examined the pane of glass that had shattered. He had initially thought that it was like a, from a gunshot. Um, a bullet, but uh, he couldn't find the bullet anywhere in his apartment. And it just didn't seem like it was, uh, it didn't have the characteristics of that. So they swept the, they had swept it up and they had bagged it. And when they did, the bag began to vibrate as if someone was looking around inside of it for something. And then the movement died down. So they quickly just like tied it up and uh, brought it outside to the dumpster. When they came back inside, the main jagged shard of glass was discovered on Barry's typewriter an hour later after they had returned home from dinner. And they, they basically walked into the apartment, and this is how they found that triangular piece of glass. Uh, Angular shard of glass. Let's see. See if this picture delivers. Oh my god, that, that picture delivers. Look yeah. at that. That's yeah. that that's very threatening. That's a yeah. big jagged piece, and it's just poking right up. I mean, it's it's like it's uh, there's no way you can miss it. Wow. Okay. I, yeah. I give it my highest rating. It's it's uh it's getting the highest sigh rating from <laughs> Rich here. It it's it's good. It's um yeah, so on uh so this stuff kind of happens on like two separate nights uh on the, the last one that would see like the most uh intense activity uh Barry Jeff and Gary Bame were around uh they had worked on a project uh and they uh, it was kind of like a game of anticipation on what would happen next because every 5 minutes something would happen and it particularly favored the gas jets uh the gas burner on the stove like they'd walk into the kitchen and it would be there um there's a video of them 
in the kitchen at one point and like the scissors kind of like fall from some from like high up and onto the ground uh the tripod stuff um there's like whiteout that is moved um at one point uh jeff is looking at the um the lens of um gary's camera he finds some uh weird stuff on it and this this would happen a bunch of times so here's a photograph of it there are these scribbles on the lens okay let's see if this uh is just a what the hell am i looking at so what I'm looking at a lens, but that does. Oh, I see. Okay, I guess that is. Yeah, it is just sort of a. All right, kind of a weird, greasy scribble. It looks almost like the number eight, sort of written over and kind over. Of, yeah. Uh, uh, all right. So when every time that Barry wiped it off, he said it had the consistency of like a grease pen. Hmm. And it would appear on the lens like multiple times, uh, and it was like different colors each time. I think he said uh, at one point it was like black and then there was like a purplish color, something like that. And um, I also noticed it, it says here that they experienced poltergeist phenomena at Barron's restaurant in Burbank. Yes. One uh, night in 1990. Yes. This is, uh, this is Barron's. This is a picture of that restaurant, the interior of the restaurant. Very so old it's still, school it's still, looking. Is it still oh, yeah, there? still though? there. Oh, yeah, that's uh, they, it. They reopened it because they said that they they closed it down um, in the book. Um, so I'm if oh well now this place is spelled slightly differently, but it's it's a famous uh, restaurant in Burbank, but it's Barones, uh, okay. not Barons. So I don't know if if it if it's uh, a different one, but okay. um, but but if you but if you ever come uh, out here, Rob, you and I can go there. It looks like I had a pretty good pizza and some yeah. steaks. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah. so, I, was just I was excited about that because remember how Scott had a poltergeist experience yes. at Morton's Steakhouse in the bathroom? Yep. yep. Suddenly, I, I like it when it happens in public. Yep. I'm talking about poltergeist stuff. So, uh, yeah, during that particular experience, they saw like the light above their table like moving and like the table would vibrate. But yeah, around the final series of events before like everything would die down, a lot of the activity was centered around those um, burners. Like they would, they would be drawn to another room where they would hear something, and uh, you know they'd come back out five minutes later. There's a burner that is uh, that is on. Um, there is uh, an there's a moment where there was a broom placed on the burner. There was also a piece of paper. Uh, I think it was like a receipt or something that was um, uh, being burned on the burner. They had turned it like whoever yeah, had done that's it. That's when we saw. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, the, the way the, the way yeah. the broom is placed is classic poltergeist. Yeah. You look at that and it's just like, yeah, that is a poltergeist. It's just, yeah. it's got the top of the broom, the uh, opposite the bristles just sort of jammed in and then the broom is standing up and leaning against the wall it's very poltergeisty yeah 
here's another photograph. They walked into the kitchen at one point and uh, they saw a knife on the ground standing up. All right. Let's see if this. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's just like poked into that little, uh, it was like a little area, like a little mat, like you did, you know, like a little section of carpeting and, uh, and the knife is just poked into it, standing straight up. That's classic. Love um, it. Love yeah, it. I give it my highest rating. They're excellent. Excellent. So, uh, Jeff was also attacked at the, uh, during this series of events. He had like scratch marks on his back. I, me, classic again yeah. that happens that does happen it does uh i don't know I, if i, I have images of that but uh, yeah it's uh it was um yeah it was scary and, and stuff but uh yeah that's um that's pretty much um uh, oh the, the other really scary part is that there was one point when they walked out into the kitchen and they found uh because jeff had a a 22 caliber handgun in his uh in his apartment he found the bullets on the burner it wasn't on but it was like right on top of the burner so had it been turned on that that, that wouldn't have ended well at all oh yeah um, no wow that's crazy yeah um yeah. but uh everything kind of died down after that jackie she felt like something was still there, but it wasn't as powerful as it had been. Um, and I think uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, her life was getting better. Like things were improving. Hmm. And um, was Al out of the way? Uh, yeah. Al's, Al was out of the picture like permanently. So that, that brings us to the, to the end here. And, and one question that I have is did, was uh, how do I frame this is what Jackie was going through with Al the culprit here is this what the cause is or is it something else because it's not fully directly related to it is most of the time directly you know Jackie's thing but as we see it's it's other people it's these folks so what do you think in this case well, it's like, it, it's like so many of these cases, you know, they'll talk about a poltergeist case and they'll say, oh, you know, at the center of it was a troubled 13 year old girl who was, you know, having, you know, you know, you know, difficulties at school and, you know, was morose and arguing with her parents. And it's like, but that's every 13. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like if there's a poltergeist associated with every teenager who was feeling angst, there'd be a poltergeist in the house of every teenager. It, it wouldn't even be a, a thing. We'd all know what it was. It would just be another aspect of, of puberty or adolescence. So, yeah. so it's hard to sort of say, oh yeah, you know, she was having a bad time in her marriage and her husband or her boyfriend or whatever this guy was, was kind of a jerk and would get violent. That's so, but that's millions of cases. We would have nothing but hauntings if that was the thing that caused it. Now, and then looked at conversely, if you just go, well, look at every haunting and see if there's any trouble at that house. Yes, there's going to be trouble at that house, because unfortunately, mm-hmm. we live in a culture where there is just tons of unhappy households where physical violence might play a role. So so even even looked at that way. And even when you look at it that way, I, there's probably just as many cases where there's a haunting where the family, there was no problem at all. So 
So it's, it, I think that's our go-to and we want there to be some connection there. Um, because then we can self-select ourselves away from it and say, well, I, uh, you know, maybe I'm not having a great relationship, but it's not as bad as that. So I won't get haunted. I don't know if you can say that. I just, even the thing, even the, the famous, you know, poltergeists love to, to uh, appear in homes where there's an unhappy adolescent. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know, we know that poltergeist cases get reported. We know that they, they're the sort of phenomenon, uh, it, it tends to be similar and, 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 you know, but, but, it, you know, the fact that she was involved in a crappy relationship, I don't know. I just mm-hmm. don't know. I'm glad things got better, but in both cases, in terms of the relationship and in terms of the haunting, but I, I, it seems like, it seems like a weird connection, uh, unless we say, I think there's got to be another hidden factor. If 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 an evil spirit or a rambunctious spirit or a poltergeist, in whatever sense, is attracted to troubled human energy, there has to be another factor that we're not aware of. That's much more rare. That that allows certain people in these certain cases to be the center of these kinds of situations. Yeah, yeah, like. I, I don't understand and I can't comprehend why this particular case is so violent and how it was able to be so violent in, in, in manifest in those kind of ways, whether you choose to uh, accept what they're saying, what they're reporting, what is in the documentary. Like if you accept everything that they're talking about, what what forces are able to you know make this into the strong case that it is like in terms of the phenomenon experience like how like it just seems like a one in a million case in that you know one guy was uh and could have been killed um in that attic right yeah and and like you know you have kind of other instances where you know, that one particular one where Jackie was attacked. He had that other uh, instance when um, Jeff was thrown against a wall. You have that uh, other instance where that those bullets were placed on that um, on that stove. And I think what's interesting is it, it, about that in particular is that it seemed like, OK, we could turn on the 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 stove burners. We could put the the bullets there but we can't turn on the burner at the same time like again like are there those rules that you can't kill anybody you can try but you can't kill anybody like it seemed like they were breaking the ultimate rule when they went after jeffrey wheatcraft like it was it seemed like an anger so vitriolic and so potent that it literally almost killed a man. And like, you kind of have to wonder if there are rules, what are the repercussions for that spirit now? Right. And well, and, and what, um, what allows the, the energy to, to be able to get that far because there's, there's all kinds of malevolent hauntings, but very few result in physical attacks on people. Yeah. You know, I mean, it does, it does happen. People, you know, people have been scratched and people's clothing is caught on fire. Um, but, but, but 
I don't know. I get maybe the you know maybe the question is why doesn't it happen more? You know, and I'm glad it doesn't. But but people don't. You know, you'd almost you'd almost think that if it is performative, if people are just lying and seeking attention, then it seems like there'd be more cases reported of my life was put in danger because I want the attention. Look at me. A ghost is trying to kill me. But it's just, it is not the most common uh, reported element of a poltergeist case. It just isn't, you know, real violent physical attacks may happen every once in a while, but nowhere near in the majority of cases. No, and and I think what's interesting about this particular case is that it's not more widely known. Like it's not that case that that poltergeist case that everybody like pulls out of their pocket when they talk about poltergeist cases. Like you know the Bell Witch or you know Jeff the Talking Mongoose kind of has more of a reputation than the San Pedro Haunting does. And I, I you know I, I I find that interesting. Like one of the supposedly best documented cases, one of the most violent poltergeist uh, cases, and it's not commonly talked about by anybody and and i don't really know why that is and i don't know if it's because of um you know the 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 legacy that this case has yeah there's a book about it a lot of people don't know about it there's a documentary that was uh, put out all right, a lot of all people right, don't know i'm it. sorry <laughs> didn't know about the book god Ah. <laughs> you're, you're you're fine uh like barry taff wrote briefly about it in his book but it's just like i don't know why is this case not more widely known it makes me wonder yeah it is a little bit strange um i, I you know i don't know if it's because it takes place in two locations i don't know if it's because it does you know it 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 it, it seems a little i look it, it's hard we, we get into that place and we, we, we touched on it earlier about at what point do you stop believing in a case? Right. You know, and is it when there's not enough evidence, when there's too much evidence, when the evidence doesn't fit into what your framework of what this thing should be? Yeah. I, I mean, I, for, for a minute, I, 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 I was sort of like, well, well, do, do you get to a point where you just sort of pick and choose? It's like, no, no, something happened but not those things. Like, I don't believe the neck thing, but I believe all the other stuff. And it's sort of like, I don't, you could mm-hmm. go there. Right. But I don't know. At a certain point, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like, okay, I guess I'll talk. Like, what, you know, d- 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 I don't know enough about Jeff Wheatcraft. Was he a right. guy who desperately needed attention? Is that the reason that, you know, he's got a lot of stories and yet a lot of the things he experienced were witnessed by other people. So it's not just him saying, Oh, by the way, when I drove home, guess what I saw? You know, it's, it's, Mm. I guess I'm in for a penny and for a pound. This one sounds like a, like a real bad one. Um, I just wish it, I just wish it was still going on and the house was still there and I could drive by and take a picture. That's all I want. (laughs) That's right. We have Rich Adam, the true tourist in this uh, in this story, wanting to go get that final picture. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the Amityville house. It doesn't look like it used to. So it's just it doesn't have it doesn't have that. So like in this case, Rich, you're left with an empty lot and we are left 
with no answers to any of this, as is typical of any episode of Our Strange Skies or even Astonishing Legends. Most of the time, hey, you're not you, you don't get any answers, but uh, no. you just get to spend some time with with your with your supernatural buddies. Yep. And you and you get to record a podcast. So, Rich, thank you so much for coming on for this episode, man. This was fantastic. Uh, my, my pleasure, Rob. You know, I'm always I'm always here, willing to do the extra credit to to just try to get my grade up from a from just 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 up to a C minus. Yeah, I just want to yeah. actually just take these. I should do these podcasts pass fail, frankly. <laughs> exactly. You got to do a pass fail. That's the best way to do it. Uh, it. It's the only way that should be that anybody should be doing anything. You know, uh, if you if you enjoy this, if you enjoy Rich, you should follow him on Twitter at Richard Haddam because, uh, you know, one of the best follows. Uh, Rich, you just got back from, you know, Montreal or from Toronto like a few few weeks ago so i got back and i'm going back i'm flying out on labor day monday i got to be back up there for for i'll tell for fans of titans and i know you know the audience is chock full of them as it should be yeah. uh, i have to go up this week to cover the final conflict in the final episode of season four there's a big big sequence in a big set and i have to go there for some reason because god knows i've got to be there to make sure this <laughs> goes off well because yeah having a director a full cast of professionals a stunt team a vfx crew and 200 other craftsmen that's not enough i gotta be standing there going well it's good anyway <laughs> i'm gonna be up there all week monday through friday supervising to make sure that we deliver the greatest television content we can so tune into HBO Max and watch Titans. The first three seasons are available now. Season four premieres, I believe, now on November 3rd. Mm. I think that's what I've been told. But, uh, but check your local listings and check out Titans on HBO Max. Yes, yes. And there it is, the best plug. Uh, if you want to you know, follow us along on social media, check out the T public shop uh, where there's a lot of good designs. And if you want to, you know, check out the Patreon, just check the show notes. There's going to be a link tree there. That'll take you to most of that. The uh, show notes uh, are going to include links to the documentary, to the book and into everything that I could possibly fit in there. And the website should be back up by now. Um, it should be rolled out by the time that this comes out. Um, special thanks to floats for our theme song to, to uh, Spencer worth Davis for editing Megan Lagerberg for our logo and uh, for the great Desdemona for all those t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or in your attic in San Pedro, terrorizing the hell out of you in gray. We trust. <laughs> Media.